What do you mean, biblical? What he means is Old Testament, Mr. Yes. Mayor. Real wrath of God type stuff. Exactly. Fire and brimstone coming down from the skies. Rivers and seas boiling. Forty years of darkness, earthquakes, volcanoes. The dead rising from the grave. Human sacrifice, dogs and cats living together. Mass hysteria. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Fansplainers. My name is David Edrick. And I'm Ian Boothby. And this week we continue our trip into the pasts as we, uh, both of us, uh, decided to watch Ghostbusters for this week's show. Mm-hmm. Mostly because Ian was more than familiar with it, and I'm somewhat with familiar with it, and we've been, uh, we have a bit of a time crunch, so we thought, let's watch that one. That's That was a reasoning. <laughs> now, now, behind most the movies- scenes. Yeah, most movies, speaking of behind the scenes, uh, listeners to this podcast know that you've watched most movies one time, yeah. and then that's it. Now, is this one of those uh, films you've only seen once? Oh, uh, yeah. Yeah, one time. Okay, so you watched it for the second time ever. Yeah. Just before just before this. Yeah, I watched it tonight before the show started. Okay, well, let's just get general then. Uh, uh, general feelings about it. Well, I have to say I liked it a lot better than the first time that I, I saw it, actually. I think... Um... I thought I found it quite disappointing when I saw it when I was younger, mm. and I think I didn't like the mix. I didn't like the mix of the supernatural with the comedy that much. I think I think I wanted another Stripes, although I don't think Stripes mm-hmm. is a perfect film. But I think the good parts of Stripes are very very good, and I was wanting like a Bill Bill Murray Harold Ramis kind of team up again in, in that in that sort of style. I think as a kid. Now, did you see Stripes in the movie theater when you were younger? I did. I saw it several times in the movie theater, actually. Oh, okay. All right. So you really enjoyed it. All right. It's a movie that I saw uh, several times and also pretended to see several times so I could go into restricted movies. Ah. Well, this wasn't Stripes restricted? No, it was mature. Oh, okay. It had a sizable amount of nudity in it. Nudity was not a reason for restrict- restricted in those days. Oh, what what would be? Just graphic violence? Graphic violence, uh, religious blasphemy, uh, drug use. There wasn't any drug use in Stripes. Nothing major. Okay, that's a surprise for. Uh, yeah. like, it seems it seems like it seems like a movie that would have that. I know it's weird. Like Life of Brian was restricted, but Stripes was mature. Okay. And as yeah, a te- I, as a teenager, I could see mature movies because I was a very mature yeah. teenager. Uh, as I mentioned on um, Sneaky Dragon, I went to a dentist last year. Uh, and uh, they they said, oh, we'll put on some TV for you and put on TV. And it was Stripes that, <laughs> that was going on. Yeah. And so I'm watching it like on the ceiling uh, yeah. TV. Yeah. And it's all the dirty bits. Like it's just <laughs> like the shower scenes. It's completely uncut. And it's like it looks like I requested pornography <laughs> while I was while I was getting my teeth. Fortunately, no one else is paying attention but you. So. Uh, I don't know. I think occasionally unless, they looked up. Unless they can look, like, through, look through the back of their heads while they're working on your teeth. I Think you're all right, right? I I wish I could have forgotten. No need, it, like no need John to ap- Larroquette, like John Larroquette did. <laughs> no need but, to apologize for the '80s. Okay, fair enough. Um, so all right, so so you liked it more than you did uh, previously. All right, that's I did cool. actually. Yeah, I thought it was. I thought it was good. I I didn't see it in the movie theater at the time for for whatever reason. I think I don't know what year it came out. But I guess I was probably in my 1984. Oh, I was just gonna say I was probably in like grade 12. And at that time, I was a huge movie snob, and so um, 
a movie as frivolous as this would have been rather low in my (laughs) wasn't wasn't black and white enough for me okay fair enough uh it was no woody allen movies what i'm saying you were uh you were i think too young to see stripes honestly now that i'm hearing this that came out in 81 yeah i was in grade eight no, but we could get okay. you could see a moving you could see that movie in grade eight. I guess it's fine. I'm not I'm not one to judge. It's it's all it's all right. Different, um, different times, boobs were considered okay. Nowadays, they're considered to be quite a horrible thing that no one should have. But in those days, flaunt them, show them off. There's a whole decade of it, so you know we got well, we, we got the we got the tail end of it when we were growing up. Back then, they would be written by fellas and shown <laughs> for fellas. Sorry, and, you know. And that's it. That's what. That's one strike I think against uh, Ghostbusters is, yeah. you know, the, uh, the 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 lack of you know uh, women characters. You've got good good actors in here, mm-hmm. and they they don't really get to do that much uh, except for the parts that women would get to do, you know, in uh, in uh, around this time. Um, so they do they do a good job with with the roles. I thought with what they've got. Yes. <laughs> okay. Well. No, but all of their roles are just locked into the stereotype okay. of what, you know, you're, this is the girlfriend. Mm-hmm. Oh, well, well, or the girlfriend-to-be. Well, what's the deal? Well, she's a bit snobbish, and she doesn't care for this guy's shenanigans, <laughs> but he's going to wear her down. And then she'll love him at the end, yeah. even though she said no to him all these times. He didn't take no for an answer. Good for him. Okay, and who's their secretary? She's really shrill. But you know what? You think so? I don't think she's. I don't think she's shrill. You don't okay. think? You no. don't think any pops pots is shrill in this? No, I really like her in this movie. That's fine. You can like her, but she's still shrill. She's uh, she's still a uh, you know. Uh, what do you want? She's that. She's that kind. Yeah, I don't like it, man. She she's reads. Answering. She likes to read. She's she... yeah. She reads, and you know <laughs> she's got a crush on uh, you know on, on Egon. Egon. Yeah, because you know we got to give her that as well. Because look, look. I mean, she's still a woman. She's still got to want the guy uh, who we've got here in the cast. Come on. Okay. And, he, and what are we going to do about uh, Dan Aykroyd? You know, we've got to give him something. I don't know. Uh, let's get him blown in a dream. That is pretty awful. Uh, yeah, that's... and then you go like, um, so the movie's written by guys. Of course, yes. Okay, that's 100% clear, you know, by, by that. Those are, the, those are the roles you've got. Girlfriend. Uh, secretary mm-hmm. and blowjob ghost. Yeah, <laughs> those are your three uh, female female roles. You, you forgot the as, librarian, as defined by old uh, yeah, and the and the uh, and the crone, as defined by uh, defined by Greek theater. Mm. You know, there you are. There's there's your archetypes, and and have at it. Something well, something I can, I guess I guess what they should have done is made made a really good version of Ghostbusters with women in the roles. Oh, didn't work. Too no, bad. they did. It was okay. too bad. No, it was fine. The it was a it was a bit it was a bit rambly, and the extended cut fixes a lot of the problems that they had with the <laughs> it's even longer. No, it is. <laughs> I'll have to give it a I'll have to give it a watch one day. No, it is. It's better. Huh. The the very the very the very first scene actually, uh, they they it's a it's a rewrite. It's the same character giving. Okay, here's what they here's what they did with the with the extended version yeah is in the original cut they made it a 30 rock type world where everything's crazy mm-hmm. everyone has something funny to say yeah yeah everyone has something funny to do there's no straight people whatsoever and then in the extended version they changed that even in the first scene where the stories the guy is telling about horrors that have happened in the house are actually somewhat horrific 
Mm. They're not silly. Yeah. So they don't undercut uh, the balance between horror and comedy. Hmm. And then, you know, there are still major, major flaws, but we've gone over that <laughs> film. I think. Have yeah. We, yeah. We did that. We did that movie before. So there you go. I still, I still liked it. And I saw it with my niece and nephew and it's like one of their favorite films. So there's, to me, I just go, okay, That's fine. you know, and, and watching and watching this one, uh, I loved it at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, the sequel was terrible. Never seen it. Um, you've never seen the sequel? No. Okay. Um, and I think the sequel is terrible because there's nothing, to, nowhere for the film to go uh, with, with, cause they didn't wrap up anything, but we'll get through, we'll, we'll get to that to the point where like, it, it, you can't do a sequel to this movie. It makes no sense to do a sequel. It looks like they're going to do another sequel now. That's just going to be pretty much straight and like so, dramatic. So, um, well, yeah, let's get to let's get to the movie because I'm because I'm kind of curious what you're saying there. So let's okay. let's go through the film. So so you generally you are down on this movie now in the future. In the no, past I, past you loved it. Now you're now you don't like it. I see it more. I see it more flawed than uh, I see a lot of stuff that's missing mm. in it. Um, and yeah, then I did back then. I mean, then I was just on board with, there's a a hilarious guy. He's our main character. He takes us through the movie. We love him. Yeah. If you don't love Bill Murray, this is a horrible movie for you. (laughs) Yeah. That's, that's probably the movie's weakest part, I think actually. But this was a big turning point, uh, for Harold Ramis to me, because before this, he wrote Animal House. He wrote Meatballs and he wrote Caddyshack. Did he write Meatballs? Yeah. Oh, Okay. Yeah, he wrote Meatballs. In those three movies, you've got lead characters who aren't the funny guy. They're the regular guy. Mm. They're the normal dude. Yeah, yeah. And then there's the crazies that are around him, mm-hmm. you know, including Bill Murray, you know, and then uh, Rod- Rodney Dangerfield and yeah. Chevy Chase. Yeah. Um, but they're not the lead. So, so we're following this person's journey, and we're hoping they get whatever real kind of goals they want to get, as silly as they are, you know. And uh, who cares? Yeah. Uh, and then we then we changed gears when you went to Stripes, and you actually had Bill Murray as the lead. But he, as much as he was a Weisenheimer, he was still quite grounded. You know, um, you, you had that really great scene in Stripes where he uh, he he goes with a sergeant into that room and is going to fight him. And then the sergeant just like punches him in the stomach <laughs> yes. and like, you know, just takes, yeah. takes him down a notch. And it's like, no, you're mortal. You can't just be this crazy Bugs Bunny character in life. This is a, all of a sudden a real person just came in and went, no, punch, yeah. done. Yeah. G- grounded. There you go. And that actually made the character better. And then the movie's quite good until they, you know. Until it does town. go into La La Land at the end of the it film. It does go into Crazy Town. Yeah. The next movie he does is vacation, and again, you're now relying on if you like Chevy Chase or not. And if you don't love Ch- Chevy Chase, we're in a lot of trouble because he's really the funny thing in the movie. You mm. have imaging Coke is okay, some some you know Randy Newman's okay, Randy Quaid. but it's really got Randy Quaid. Sorry, uh, but you've really got to like your lead. And then when we get to Ghostbusters, it's just full on you know Bill Murray. Uh, this is this is the character. He's the funny guy. Harold Ramis has some laughs. Dan Aykroyd doesn't really have any laughs. You know, I think you're hard pressed to find a, a laugh that Dan Aykroyd gets. You forgot uh, about the you forgot about the ghost blowjob. 
Yeah, he does cross his eyes. He just crosses his eyes when that happens. <laughs> yeah, that does happen. You know, uh, Harold Harold Ramis is is this bizarre character that you know they can comment on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but Bill Murray is the comedy character, and the difference between the new Ghostbusters and this Ghostbusters is yeah, everyone was funny in the new Ghostbusters, which was a flaw. You needed some straight people in there, and everyone was hilarious. "Quote unquote hilarious," um, but they were all funny, goofy characters. In this, the only people that are funny are uh, Bill Murray, yeah. sometimes sometimes Harold Ramis, rarely Dan Aykroyd. Uh, Ernie Hudson gets no laughs, and that's it. No one else in the world is uh, is is funny or Rick, gets really. Rick Moranis is funny. Uh, yeah, he does get uh, he does get some. Yeah, okay, I'll give you Rick Moranis as well. But it's not a funny world around them. No, it's, no, no. It's a fairly, funny. it's a fairly realistic yeah. setting for, with you know, like the whole ghost element and all the occult part of it are, is treated very seriously, right? And then but you've got, point- and then you've got like Bill Murray's character, who is kind of, it's very, it's very strange. Like I feel like Bill Murray was kind of given his head in this film, and just they just kind of let him do his thing more than maybe Stripes, and you know, they just kind of took what they got. Because there's scenes in this movie where he it does feel like he has like you know human motivations and stuff. There's a sequence after they they mortgage Ray's parents' house and Ray buys the and then they you know he and Egon are trying to negotiate uh you know a good price for the for the for the fire hall and then Ray who you know moments before was like concerned about having a third mortgage on his house with 19% interest rate. Can you imagine that 19%? Anyway, so then. And then suddenly he's like whooping it up, going out, sliding on a fire pole and killing their negotiating. And yeah. then and then in a scene later, he shows up in a $4,800 rust bucket with a, a million things wrong with it as he starts listing them off to Bill Murray, who is now concerned about the, the financial situation and looks concerned. Like he actually has like kind of, he sort of starts when he hears Ray tell him it's $4,800 and he's like, well, for this? And then he goes in and he's kind of gets on Janine because she's just reading because there's nothing for her to do, but he wishes that she could at least do something and look like she's busy because the money's pouring out the door and they're not getting anything out of this. Mm-hmm. And which is a weirdly kind of grounded moment for that character, which in every other part of the movie feels like he is just floating through it. Like, you know, like a Bugs Bunny with very, very little care for what's happening. Yeah. They have a lot of setup and they don't have any real payoff for mm-hmm. some things they said. What it, let me just finish the point that it was making. I'm sorry. Ramus was. Oh, no, it's sorry. okay. It's just, this was the turning point really yeah. where Harold Ramus didn't do movies with uh, a straight lead anymore. It was like, who's, who's your lead? The funny person. Yeah. So uh, you're going to have back to school, you know, you're going to have Rodney Dangerfield as mm. lead. You're not going to have, you know, him as a friend of uh, the straight regular character. And uh, and that kind of like set what comedy was through the eighties, sure. which was the Weisenheimer uh, character that we're uh, that we're following along, and that we're supposed to identify with. Yeah, like in the previous yeah. movies, we're supposed to identify with the regular guy who wants. Man, I really want to be a caddy. Eh, whatever you want to be, uh, and, <laughs> but he's and he knows the crazy guys and he knows the hilarious guys. Mm-hmm. But we're not supposed to be the hilarious guy. But I think in Ghostbusters. We're supposed to want to be Bill Murray, you know. If you if you want to be anyone in this movie, you want to be him, and so you're identifying with him through that, and that kind of changes the mindset, and it kind of sets up uh, what '80s humor was, you know, that kind of Lettermanish, you know, standing back and commenting on things, which isn't invented. But I mean, Groucho would do that too, um, but 
yeah, that was uh, that was kind of the big kind of changeover. We didn't need a straight lead. Uh, you could just go, nah, let's just focus on the funny guy and, uh, <laughs> and keep going. One thing I thought was interesting watching this movie was, like, looking at it now, is the uh, element of the, you know, the little guy versus government, which... Mm-hmm. It's you know, very with, free market, yeah. Yeah, which is kind of strange. Like the that's, ERA is the, yeah, are, are that's the, bad. the EPA for the first time, not the ERA, but the EPA for the first time is... <laughs> yeah, they weren't big on the EPA as men either, probably. <laughs> yeah, it's just weird that the EPA is now like the bad guy in this, in this... Like, that's a real 80s turn, right? Like the 70s, even under Nixon, the EPA was, oops, was a very, um, uh, a very influential very influential part of uh, the government, you know, and, and the changes they brought about, you know, things like, you know, to prevent acid rain and stuff like that and DDT control. And those are all like, like were sort of like agreed upon as being very important. And, and it, But then in the eighties, the suddenly the EPA kind of came under attack from government. And it's weird that this movie purportedly by a bunch of hippies, you know, these kind of like guys who came out of the, the, the early seventies would have grown up in the sixties through like the, the, you know, the kind of revolution of the 60s and stuff like that. Here they are in the 80s, uh, you know, re- rejecting the idea of environmental responsibility and embracing this this kind of like the this um, idea of the of the you know the the little guy ver- free enterprise versus uh, government you know blue tape or blue tape red tape and you have to fight yeah. your way through it and and all that kind of and it's really you know like yeah it's interesting. There's a yeah, few conservative. There's I, also that element of uh, the universities are just playgrounds for for intellectuals, and you know the real work is done in in, uh, in private enterprise. You know, like he's Dan Aykroyd says, you know, you've never been in private, uh, you've never been in the private sector. They expect results, so things like that, right. you know, are kind of oh, well, this is the, the real attack the on the intelligentsia. Our our lead in that. Okay, here's the thing about that, uh, and then we'll, we can get into the the plot. But the uh, Walter Peck from the EPA. Now I know he's played by the guy who's the villain in everything. He's the villain in Die Hard. He's the villain in Real Genius. Oh, he's, he's the, the villain, villain in Real. I've never seen Real Genius. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah, Real Genius is is, is good. Um, first, uh, first uh, in the Day of the Locust, the, that movie. Oh, very good. Uh, but good movie. He's right. This is one of those things where like. Peck is Peck is correct. Yes, like you know, he's not. Well, he's correct and not correct. He's correct. No, he is. Well, he's not correct to shut down the grid. Okay, it, but that's problem- stupid. That's like like going, saying this this nuclear reactor is dangerous. Let's turn down the water coolant. You know, like this. <laughs> what, what? So, but he's right in the sense that that this is a dangerous situation they're creating because they don't really have like a full understanding of what they're doing, which they're talking about in the basement while he's upstairs talking with Bill Murray. Right. Well, I I mean, there's a point where. They're riding in the elevator, and uh, you know you've got a, an unlicensed <laughs> accelerator on your back. Okay. Oh, by the yeah, way, like across the streams, all reality stops. Oh, okay. <laughs> and by the way, Bill Murray. Let's be real clear. He about says this. it's bad. I don't think he does. He say all reality stops. I thought uh, he just I think says it was like a total proton reversal, which is like. Oh, uh, okay. I, I didn't. I missed that. I thought he just said it's bad. Yeah, I, re- I remember like in the, uh, I think it was in the cartoon they described it as uh, oh, well, okay. all your molecules taking uh, separate vacations. Okay. Um. But yeah, so he—it's not safe what they're using. Egon yeah, yeah. is no, a no, no, mad no. scientist. He's a <laughs> mad scientist, yes. and and Bill Murray is a con man. Mm-hmm. Like that's the thing when you're talking about the free enterprise system. Bill Murray is a liar. Like he's just a liar. Like he like he got through college 
just conning, uh, conning uh, pretty women and call it, uh, conning uh, the, 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 the people at his college. He doesn't believe in, in, in this stuff. Yeah. You know? Uh, he's no, just, he's, the, he's, he's the disbeliever for sure. He is Dan Aykroyd's character, Ray, is the believer, obviously. He's the guy who totally buys into this. Right. Even, un- and, even unscientifically buys into it. And, yeah, he, and Egon, Egon is, yeah, is sort of there. He's just along for the ride because this gives him an opportunity to, you know, play around with expensive and crazy. Well, Egon inventions. is, and they didn't say it back then, but he's the guy who's on the spectrum and is such a genius that he's the one who actually can discover this stuff. Mm. You know, Dan Aykroyd has some ideas uh, and he can make the stuff that Egon has make some sense. Egon on his own is going to, as he says at one point, he was going to take a drill to his head, and it would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Yeah, he's just pure science. Yeah, he's science. So, with, so, he's science without humanity. So yeah, Peck is right to be trying to stop the con man and the mad scientist who has, you know, who's endangering, you know, the city with his devices. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, this is the thing, like Egon is gathering all these ghosts together. Uh, but that is dangerous. That's mm. not the right thing necessarily to do. Peck's correct. You know, yeah. you're right. It's not good to turn turn off the thing. But it wasn't good to gather them either. Yeah. You're right. That's not... Uh, that oh, yeah, a good yeah. Plan. No, it's... A, it's And it's just sort of funny that Bill Murray is obfuscating and blocking him upstairs and then downstairs in, the sa- in that same scene, um, uh, Winston, Ray, and Egon. And, and I think... Um, no, this, I guess they're just down there smoking away like chimneys, by the way. That was the other thing I noticed. Yeah. Like, you won't see that anymore. But the, yeah, uh, that's the big difference between the first film and the second film, <laughs> is they, they all uh, stop smoking okay, okay. In between the first and the second movie. So, yeah, and they're talking about how unstable it is. So it's like they're echoing. It's just a weird scene because, you know, it just makes um, Bill Murray's character seem like an a-hole, that he's just blocking this guy from even looking at it. You know, and having like some sense of what it is, and and the idea that government and business can't work together. You know, he's going to come down and shut everything down, or he's going to come down and say, "Well, listen, this. You know, how does this work? What are your safeguards? Like, maybe we need to do this or this in order to have this as a safe system." And those are not bad things for. Those are like good things to have government do, like to keep you know protect the population from ghost ghost catchers. You know, that's a yeah. part of one of the big part the of the business. And the bigger question there is. Uh, does the EPA cover ghosts? You know, <laughs> well, you know that their has... their motto is "We ain't afraid of no ghosts." So, well, no, their motto the is "We're ready to believe you." <laughs> that's the Ghostbusters. Oh, 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 that's right. And the EPA's motto is "We ain't afraid of no ghosts." That's right. Uh, that's right. Because Nixon uh, started, <laughs> he was not afraid. Of. I think that really is the EPA angle on this. Is like <laughs> they hated Nixon so much that anything Nixon came up with must be awful. So hippies are not. What's uh, weird is it, that I think EPA was created under Nixon. It was. That's what I'm saying. Like it was. Would, it, was the yeah, it was. It, it was a Nixon thing. Yeah. So, so why would the EPA hate Nixon? They would be. <laughs> No, I'm saying the ghost. Uh, oh, the Ghostbusters. Oh, I'm sorry. The people, yeah, the the Harold Ramises yeah, would yeah. not have cared for the EPA possibly because it was the spawn of Nixon. Uh, it I was see. a Nixon I see. program. Yeah, yeah. Possibly, but otherwise, uh, who knows? Yeah. Anyway, let's get into the movie. <laughs> First of all, the big question is: big question. Uh, How do you spell Ghostbusters, Dave? Is it one word or two? I think of it as one word myself. Well, I if you read the poster, you're not wrong. Okay. If you see the opening credits, 
you're wrong. <laughs> if you see the if you see the name at the end of the movie, yeah. it's one word, but it's two words at the beginning of the movie when they first have uh, well, the title. I, I guess they up. haven't joined together as one yet. That takes that rooftop sequence. Oh, so. very nice. Okay. And I believe the logo uh, got them sued by Harvey Comics as well for a brief period of time, but they came to an arrangement. Because of the Casper Lake look of the ghost? Because or? of the, uh, it looked too much like the ghostly trio. Oh, okay, okay, okay. It had that uh, kind of dangly, weird, nibby head yeah. Uh, business. Yeah, yeah. Mm. So, so anyway, uh, but that's uh, that's a story for another time. So we're, we <laughs> this seems like the, this seems like the perfect opportunity for that story. By the way, is it okay? We're well, talking about okay. Ghostbusters. I don't think right, we can. Here's the, here's the story. Uh, uh, Harvey Comics uh, sued them. Yeah, uh, and uh, they came to an arrangement, and now things are fine. Okay. There you go. That's... And so much so yeah. that you know, when the Casper movie uh, came out, yes. uh, there was a Ghostbuster in it. Oh. Dan Aykroyd is in it as as uh, Ray Stans, uh, who goes in to, uh, to to go up against the ghostly trio, yep. comes running out of the house, says to Eric Idle, who are you going to call? Someone else. And then leaves. <laughs> He's got a mustache at the time. Nice. And it was off-putting. Yeah, I don't like mustaches. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're going to open the movie at the New York Public Library. It's good. We're right in New York. Now we know yeah. where we are. New York. Fantastic. It's a, it's a great, uh, great opening for the movie. Yeah. The librarian spots, uh, you know, uh, is uh, a nice old uh, lady is, uh, is sorting through things. Uh, she passes a card catalog and it opens and things start. I wonder how they did that. I was, I was looking at that because you can, you can understand like the books are on wire. And, mm-hmm. I, and I like the idea that they just like tell her, you know, turn around now. And then she turns around and the books are out of sight. Right. And then they go, okay, carry on walking. And then she carries on walking. And then, but then with the cards, I was just like, I was trying to imagine like, do you think they had like a vacuum that they pushed through that? And so it blew the cards up in the air. Like they couldn't have been on, they couldn't have also been on wires. It doesn't make sense of of that sequence, It's very similar to something magicians do with cards. Yeah. Where they'll shoot a bunch of cards out of their sleeve Uh and then like grab one card and it's like, is this your card? Yeah. So I guess whatever they do, whatever magicians do. But, that, but it's not like a card. I mean, I guess it is like a bit like a card deck, but it's quite a long thing. And they're mm-hmm. all they're all like flip flapping out. It's, it's, you know, like most of the um, a lot of the effects in this film are like practical effects that are done on on set and all the more effective for that. And kind of fun because like the later on the film, there's Sigourney Weaver when she rises in the air, which is right out of like a really out of a magician's trick. Right. Just mm-hmm. like the they just expect someone to pop out of nowhere and run a hoop along her and look, no, no wires. Anyway, go on with your story. <laughs> that's basically it. Oh, by the way, uh, uh, the librarian is played by Alice Drummond. I just want, I looked her up because I, I was like, she is in a lot of things. Yes. She is in a lot of stuff, that lady. What would she be in, Dave? A lot of stuff. I don't know. I didn't look, I didn't write so down. So many things, Dave. I, if you She'd want to go to, be I, in an Ace Ventura pet detective. That's right. She was in Ace Ventura. That's right. That was when I noticed. Yeah. 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 Uh, she was in, oh boy, Dave, I'll tell you, uh, she was in Love City <laughs> TV show. I don't know. I'm looking I, here. It's I gave, all stuff like Night Court and the Equalizer. It's not that impressive, but I'm sure I'm sure she was in some famous stuff as well. I gave the girls my phone to go to the store, so I don't I don't have my. Uh, you know what? Maybe that's for the best. Don't have a, we're, access we to IMDb. Not the titles yet. No, it's true. Okay, so she's uh, she's in the library. Uh, stuff's flying everywhere. Books are going back and forth. Mm. Uh, uh, she's getting spooked by this, and then she runs into an unseen ghost. And uh, screams, and that's that's, when we that's a really great part. start to the film, right? Like, yep. don't you don't need to show the ghost now? No, like just give us a sense of something's up, and then we'll go into the movie. Right, really well done, good pacing. 
Yeah, but you know something. Yeah, you know you know things are uh, things are happening. Things are stirring. Yes, things are stirring. So we get our uh, titles, which are Ghost Busters. Two words. <laughs> it's using me for forever. Uh, now we're going to Columbia University, uh, where uh, uh, Peter Bankman is conducting conducting a test. Played, played by Bill Murray. That's right. Uh, sure. Uh, on a on a nerd and an attractive student. Uh, uh, who who later, I believe this attractive student, yes. if I'm getting this correctly, yeah. uh, played Cindy Brady on the Brady Bunch in one of the many A very old, Brady Christmas, you're right. I don't wanna I don't wanna yeah, I don't wanna be in this one. She's then, she's actually done a lot of stuff through the years, but that's one of them, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Stephen Stephen uh Tash, who plays the bo- the guy, because I was like, this guy looks so familiar. Then when I was watching the movie I went, Oh yeah, he looks so familiar because he looks like Rick Moranis. So it's weird that they got like a, two actors that look very similar to each other for two different roles in the movie. And I think he did like four movies, and then he skedaddled out of the movie business. I suppose. Yeah, you know, and, and again, I'm, I'm not going to tell anyone how to write a movie, but uh, I feel like you've already got a nerd later on. You don't need a nerd at this point. You could probably get away with. Yeah. And again, he's not like a super nerd, though. He's not like he's like got glasses yeah. taped together or anything. He's just like a, a regular kind of guy. Yeah, I think I think you could have gone with a jock. That would have been fun. Mm-hmm. But you know, you went with uh, who you went with, and that's fine. And sure. so anyway. Uh, uh, they're doing an ESP test, and uh, Bill Murray is fixing that test. Uh, and uh, he likes the, the, he likes the girl. Lady, yeah, the pretty lady is always doing great, and the other guy is just getting horribly shocked. <laughs> and we're uh, getting a real uh, nice idea about what Peter Venkman is all about. <laughs> He's all about yeah. Peter Venkman. Yeah. So uh, then uh, we meet uh, Ray Stans, played by Dan Aykroyd, comes in and tells Venkman. Uh, about the library uh, sighting, and uh, they're gonna they go off to check that out. Uh, Venkman. I just want to. Uh, I just want to. You just. I just want before you rush through that. Rush yeah. through the scene. I love when he pulls Ray aside because Ray has interrupted him in the middle of his uh, attempt yeah. to seduce this this woman, and I just love that um, he like jumps in the air and then hits Ray on top of the head. I just, I just love it. He's so like so mad. It's a it's a great little bit of physical acting there. Yeah, the, worth the, the, mentioning. Yeah. Well, the nice thing about that too is it sets up their relationship, which mm. is very brotherly. Yeah, yeah, and 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 people at that point know both of them were on Saturday Night Live. Yeah, yeah. they've worked together, you know, so long, and seeing them just like goofing like that, <laughs> it's it's comforting. It's good. It's like okay, we are yeah. we get their relationship. We're good. Yeah. Um, and uh, Benjamin makes a date with this student, and uh, then uh, leaves leaves with Ray. And before you judge uh, Peter Benjamin for this, remember Indiana Jones also dated his student so you know there you go it's not great um okay so now we're going to the library <laughs> well i don't think we're trying to establish him as like a, a great guy at this point in the in the film no think, no no i think is, he's the uh, one character who has like a kind of a, a somewhat of an arc compared to everyone else really yeah he's a fraud he is a he is a uh, he is a fraud and uh, and that's a good that's actually a good start yeah you know yeah. for this yeah. um and as you say that is his arc so the uh they go to the library where we meet up uh with egon spengler uh, played by Harold Ramis. I love Harold Ramis. Just want to say, it. just want to put that out there. I love Harold Ramis as well. Oh well, uh, uh, do you, uh, how much more than me? You're just trying to like uh, one up me here. Is that what's going on? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay. That's fine. Oh, I'll go head to head with you on yeah. Ramis. Love. Sure. His uh, his hair is shorter in this movie than in Stripes. Okay. Yeah, he had uh, substantial amounts of hair in uh, Stripes. <laughs> I will give you that. Uh, I, I I even liked him in um, the first episodes of SCTV, oh, yeah. even though. He couldn't stop laughing. <laughs> he really corpsed in that show. He, he laughed through he, everything. So good making him a non-laugher in this. He did some good sweating. 
I mean, he's performing with like SCTV cast. Like they're really funny people. So uh, they all they all meet up. There's some uh, again some goofing uh, with uh, you know uh, Egon listening to uh, tables and uh, and uh, Peter Bankman knocking on said tables. We hear that uh, Egon did try to uh, drill his own head uh, in the past, and uh, and and Peter put a stop to that. Yeah. Uh, which, as uh, Egon says, would have worked if you hadn't stopped me. Um, so we learned that Venkman has a uh, place, and that is stopping Egon from going too far. Yeah. Egon, yeah. Egon is the guy who will go too far if uh, pushed. Uh, Peter is the con man, and uh, Ray is the puppy who's just too enthusiastic about everything, just <laughs> jumping up and Well, down. he's just the true believer. Like He is he is in his world here. He's in his element. He Which is not a million miles away from uh, the real Dan Aykroyd, who does believe basically anything that you tell him. I imagine, like, I don't know, I don't know the whole story to the Ghostbusters uh, movie, obviously, but I feel like Dan Aykroyd wrote, wrote this script... And then Harold Ramis was was brought in to like make sense of what he wrote. That's my feeling about it. I don't well, know if that's true. It originally took place in outer space as well. It was a franchise that multiple uh, uh, people uh, had Ghostbusters franchises throughout uh, the uh, I think the universe and I think other dimensions. Okay. It was originally written for um, John Belushi in the Bill Murray role. Uh, huh? and he passed. And so, uh, Bill Murray got the role and he passed the, on the role. Hmm. Well, no, he just, he just plain passed. Oh, that's right. And Eddie, Eddie Murphy was supposed to be having the Ernie Hudson role. Uh, but then, uh, turned, turned that down. That didn't end up happening. So he, it was going to be, he saw, the, he saw the lines for it. Uh, no, the lines were very different when it was Eddie Murphy's movie. Oh, is that right? Very, very different. Yes. Huh? Yeah. Um, and yeah, we can, we can, we can, also get to that as we get to that sure, sure. uh so uh bankman's asking a series of personal and cynical questions about uh the woman that we uh, saw the older woman's medical history social history sexual history uh <laughs> and uh the, it's very you know what again it's very groucho mm, you know yes, it's got a yeah. straight straight woman there and he's just doing all the business uh then it's time to go down into the basement and check things out uh they're scanning stuff we see the little scanners uh, we see that there's a uh, ectoplasmic residue which mm. they call slime it's nice and gross and tactile yeah and that's i uh, like i like uh, bill murray's uh, attempt to corral it into a petri dish is good yeah and uh talking about that the uh, the book stacking is supernatural you know nothing <laughs> natural can stack books that way <laughs> he has some great dry one-liners in this movie yeah and uh, then they turn to see an elderly uh, ghost mm. uh, reading a book uh, played by Ruth Oliver. Uh, and they, they have no plan because they they never thought this was going to be real. None of them, you know, as, as much as even the believers are just like, yeah. this is the worst ghost they've ever seen. Yeah. And I love Bill Murray's like taking them, <laughs> taking them to have a little confab around the corner of the bookcases and kind of like, well, what now? Like, what are your plans here? Like, what are we supposed to do? Yeah, which is great because you have Ray, who is the overly enthusiastic guy who really wants to see a ghost. And, of course, once he sees a ghost, no clue what to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, and Egon is just frozen in terror and has no way of, you know, saying anything or doing anything. Uh, But, yeah, Ray the con man, you know, is is the only one who's able to, like, get up enough gumption (laughs) to, to, to talk and kind of make up a plan. Yeah, yeah, and uh, and so they slowly approach the ghost, and Ray makes the mistake of yelling "Get her!" <laughs> and, 
and uh, you, you, so you didn't see this in a theater, you're saying? No, I saw, it, I saw it in home video. Okay. So when I saw this in a theater, the audience screamed. This oh, is one I can of those, imagine. Yeah. It's... This is one of those times like in Raiders of the Lost Ark where there's the change, uh, you know, the creatures that they're coming out of the Ark. Mm-hmm. Uh, or a large march in uh, Pee Wee's Big Adventure. Yeah, yeah. You know, the audience does not expect this in a comedy. They've, they're they're here to see those kids from Stripes <laughs> and what they're going to do. And, you know, maybe we'll see a sheet on a ghost. Mm-hmm. We don't know what we're going to see, but we're not, it's not going to be anything really scary. And, yeah, it's legitimately a scary uh, thing, screaming. And they and they run the hell out of that library. Uh, and, and they're gone. And so there's, there's a little a, cameo there as well. Uh, by, by who? By Bronson Pincho. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, right on the steps. He's like looking after them. I don't. That's weird. He doesn't. Know, I don't think. Don't know if he has a line there, but he is there. So he was an he was an extra in this. Maybe, yeah, yeah. Interesting. Well, Ron Jeremy's in it near the end as a as an extra as well. Yeah, I, I, there's a few. There's another uh, weird one too, and uh, we'll get to that later. Um, I just wanted to say, like, this is about the special effects that they it was interesting because this movie was like its special effects were either like really great. Really terrible. Like there seemed to be no. They did had trouble with their middle ground there. Like it just like sometimes they look really good and other times they looked really awful. Well, there's this one effect that I that you see in so many '80s movies, Mm. like a weird science or a poltergeist or this, which is that like the stream, which is the stream with kind of a crackling energy around it. Yeah, it's uh, obviously like hand animated, Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. it's uh, it's it's very very unique to the '80s. At the end of the '80s, it just went nah. (laughs) <laughs> We're never doing this again. But if someone gets zapped in the 80s, if you're in a movie like Shocker, yeah. uh, you're going to get zapped with that kind of electricity. Because that's what it is. Or Bill and Ted, if yeah. there's some electricity that's going to be coming out of the top of their uh, telephone booth, that's that's what you're going to get. Yeah. So uh, they're, they they make the, the terrible uh, thing of uh, screaming in a library and then running out the stairs of the library. <laughs> what a faux pas. So, yeah. So they're back at the uh, university. And uh, and uh, Venkman is uh, making fun of Ray as he should, and uh, but then Egon um, mentions that uh, based on these readings of an actual ghost, the, he feels they actually have a real chance of catching one yeah. and holding it definitely. Yeah. Yeah. So up until this point, I'm not really sure how long they've been at this school, but like I don't know. Like definitely Peter is running a con. I don't know if Ray is running a con or was just there like what his mindset is on this i'm sure egon realistically thought like uh, this kind of thing was real yeah um but uh yeah it's 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 odd like if 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 ray and egon are in any way uh conning or if they're just completely sincere <laughs> yeah i think ray is sincere in his what he believes to be what he's che- like he believes in what he believes in right so he believes in ghosts and things like that mm-hmm. it's columbia university that doesn't think that this is serious that you know, Venkman is, you know, is whether the, he's, they have whether he's a con artist have... or not, para- like the whole idea of psychic phenomena and stuff like that is just so much trash and they're going to get rid of it. Right. I mean, they believed it enough that they've been funding these guys for a substantial period of time. Well, there was ta- there was a time in the 70s when universities were funding psychic research. Mm-hmm. But that's not that's not false. That's an actual thing that was happening at the time. And then right. they, they reached a point where it was decided that it wasn't really worth pursuing because they were not getting any results. So and the so, dean uh, here yeah. tells them, yeah, they're, they're, they've been ter- their grant has been terminated. They had a grant uh, due to their shoddy findings, yeah. uh, methods, which 
is correct because up until this point, ghosts didn't exist. <laughs> this is the first ghost anyone has uh, yeah. seen that we're aware of. So, uh, you know, up until this, you know, by the way, the Dean is not wrong to be doing this. Once again, he seems like, oh, that crusty old Dean. Mm, why won't he give these guys a break? It's like, no, 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 no. This isn't the Dean from Animal House. Yeah. This is the sensible Dean from reality who is going, yeah. these guys are con men who are just seducing women and electrocuting other students. Um, yeah, we should kick them out. Good good, good for them. They should be kicked out. Good good going Dean. <laughs> yes. But we're, we're on the side of the fellas because, you know, they're our protagonists. Yes, we, they're, they're the people we are most connected to, so... Yeah, one of the weird things is, on their behalf. is in, in almost any other movie, you would have a scene where we'd go back to that Dean when they become famous later. Mm. Uh, and there's a little rub in the nose in it. Or the Dean goes to them and like, hey, would you mind coming to a fundraiser for the school? You're our most famous alumni. Uh, come on, mistakes were made. And then they get to <laughs> give him the old zam, zoom, zam. Yeah. But, you know, nope, we never see the Dean again. So it's this weird kind of setup. Of like, oh, here comes the Dean. And that's the end of the Dean. We're done. <laughs> you're, just, you're too used to Disney movies. I'm just, where I'm used where to the movies. Dean was actually the protagonist. Uh, listen, this is a this is a Harold Ramis movie. He wrote Animal House. <laughs> yes. Which the whole thing was the crusty, mean Dean. Yeah. He set this whole yeah. mean Dean situation up. He co-wrote Animal House, but yes. And, and by, and by the way, like in, yeah. I know what you're talking about, like the computer wore tennis shoes and uh, Mr. And I see him now, you don't or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that Dean never gets a comeuppance. That Dean actually always succeeds at the end. Yeah, yeah. I understand that movie is like Dean-centric. Like you it think, is very Dean. You think you're watching and you go, oh, this movie's going to be about all these kids. And then you realize, oh, no, the kids are like the side to this movie. It's really about this Dean. Yes. It's, he's really the protagonist of these films. Yeah. No, I think so, that I think Harold Ramis probably felt like oh, I think we've covered all the like mean Dean stuff that we need to cover in, in Animal House. We don't need to do any more of that. And it does feel a bit like you know we've yeah we've done Animal House already. Like you say, let's get out of college because they could just be doing all this from college. There's no reason they wouldn't be able to set up everything they've got from there and, and have their wacky college adventures. Yeah, and have a bunch of sexy ladies show up and they're all oh, what are you going to do? Uh, but no, we're out of that. Okay, forget it. We're growing up. It might have been uh, what Douglas Kenny who hated the the dean and Hell Ramos is kind of like he was dean neutral. He didn't. <laughs> Could have been. Yeah. Uh, so this is where you have that scene you were talking about, where uh, you know Ray explains how the private sector works. <laughs> yes, I mean it's a good, great joke, and it you know it's a great, great scene as well, and it really it forwards. It's really cleverly done. This whole sequence, uh, this part of the film, where it, it advances the storyline really carefully and really quickly as well you know so you establish you know they lose their positions at the school then we establish the fact that it's not going to be easy out there so we we create some sense of of risk for them as leaving their comfortable past and now having to move into this unknown future and then we've kind of up the ante in the next scene where we have them walking out of the bank and we just we we you know get to overhear ray complaining about the fact that his parents left him this house and and then Venkman's saying, don't worry, Ray, everyone has three mortgages in their homes these days. And then we also learn, of course, that it's at a 19% interest rate, which, you know, in our modern days of like uh, government clamped down, you know, whatever it is, 2.9% interest for a mortgage, it seems like, what? Ugh. I can't even imagine paying that kind of money for a home. I can't even imagine paying money for a home nowadays but anyway but let alone the, the mortgage but or the mortgage interest rate but it's uh, yeah and you never have you know is a raised parents still alive no they're not probably. Yeah, yeah yeah it's just like he'd feel he'd feel bad if he lost it yeah what do you 
So it does, it does kind of create a good sense of like of um you know there's a good sense of risk and stuff like that to this to that to their setup of their establishment of the business. Now I feel like they kind of undercut it in the next few scenes, but I do like how they 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 set that up there. But I do feel like it kind of gets undercut in the next part. Yeah, it's it's a weird it's a weird thing. It's a it's a funny scene seeing come out of the bank and yeah, how scary yeah. it looks. I, I get that, mm-hmm. uh, but again, it's something that they never really get into later of just like oh my gosh, I'm so worried about losing all this money. Mm-hmm. And then you never have a thing later where like, well, you made all your money, so your house is fine. Oh, okay. Yeah. There's never any, <laughs> no. there's never any payoff. No, there's not. They don't... And here's another weird thing that they never pay off. <laughs> yeah. So we just had a thing where they were at the library. Yeah. There was the horrifying ghost in the library. Yeah. Okay. And so now they're going to set themselves up as a paranormal investigation and eliminations yeah. uh, thing. All right, that's great. Mm-hmm. So you're going to go back to the library where you know the ghost is there, yeah. right? We don't look back. Nope, never, this movie does not never. look back. <laughs> this movie. No, will... that's the thing. They never deal with that ghost they, at all. They took Bob Dylan's advice: "Don't look back. Just keep okay. moving forward. That's keep moving how, forward." That's not how movies work. Keep moving forward. You set up, you pay off. You, you set like, up, you, you pay liked off. this movie when you saw it. You didn't care that this movie kept moving forward. Yeah, because you don't notice it till the end, and then you go, "Wait a minute, there's that." Why didn't they get rid of that ghost in the library? Right. It's like it's not like the library doesn't have money. Like I get that the first the first ghost they have is in this hotel. Yeah, yeah, and it's a it's it's we'll get again. We're, every time we say we'll get to that, you yeah. can take a drink. Um, <laughs> but it's not like the city doesn't have money. They know where a ghost well, is. I hate to tell you this, but this was New York. It didn't have money. <laughs> mm, okay. I think they probably got enough to get rid of a ghost in a library. <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, then they're looking for uh, headquarters. Uh, and uh, I, again, this seems like one of those scenes in any other movie where you'd look at a variety of headquarters. Should be like a montage or something like that. But yeah. no, the, I don't blame them for, for doing this. I think this, I really do like how quickly they, they zip along in this part of the film. Like, there's no, there's no fad in this part of the movie. It's just like zip. From getting kicked out of school to zoop, they've got a business set up and off they go to the next to the next set next act, I guess. Yeah, it's just a, it's just such a strange thing. Like, okay, what are you going to be? All right, well, we just saw that there was a ghost. Okay, great. You know what? We could probably catch ghosts. Oh, I understand. We can catch ghosts. Great. So, what do we need now? We need a headquarters. Okay. All right. So, uh, what are we going to have? A firehouse. Uh, uh, okay, I guess so. I mean, it, it works as in it's kind of a boy's fantasy to like be fireman, mm-hmm. and Ray, Ray, you know, has that with the sliding down the pole and yeah, enjoying yeah. himself. You're right; it does undercut immediately the my money. <laughs> when he's the guy, like, let's just spend all the money. Yeah, but then yeah. you know, you could go with like he's a puppy. Sometimes puppy's sad. Sometimes <laughs> puppy excited. And when puppy's excited, you know, there you go. That's be. But like, why do you need a? A uh, firehouse. Why do you need all this space? What are you doing in this space? You know, I know you've got in the basement. You're going to build, uh, you know, a thing to hold the ghosts later. But what? What else do you need? Why? 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 Why so much space? That's cool. What's, what's this all about? Eh. Anyway, it's fine. <laughs> I don't know. And, I mean, would you prefer that they're in like a strip mall? What, I, Is that your idea of know. fun? Ghostbusters. It's not that it's driving fun. driving it's, out of uh, driving out of the parking lot of a strip mall. <laughs> in the no, street. All of a sudden, you know, listen, we're going to catch ghosts. Okay, well, we're going to need a fire a firehouse. Mm, whatever, whatever you say. Yeah, okay. Yeah, that's fine. What are you going to do? Uh, well, I'm I'm going to look for leprechauns. We need a planetarium. 
you got it. Let's let's rent that planetarium. All right. It's just. I mean, it's it's interesting looking. I don't deny that. It's just a. Uh, it's just an odd. Uh, it's an odd choice. You might want to like say some words to I justify. I don't know. Doing. I don't know if I agree with you on that. I think I have no problem with like quickly moving through the shorthand of these sequences. Like I quite like it. I feel like this is kind of like. I feel at some point there must have been some sort of comedy equivalent of of Breathless, you know, the Jean Luc Godard film, where you you went from you know very staid setups of each scene, you know, so that you had the establishing shot, and then you carefully show the people going in an elevator, coming out of the elevator, going in the office door, another in the office. You just cut all that out and just cut straight to the to the meat of it, you know. You just cut out all the, and I feel like this movie really just like kind of cuts out a lot of the the stuff you don't need. Like you just don't you don't need a montage scene, sure. I, it, it might be fine to have like them looking at a tenement, a fire hall, uh, a strip mall, whatever, and then they decide on the fire hall and because Ray likes the sw- slidey down pole. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, it's kind of fun that the movie just sort of just get this kind of work, you know, just gets quickly past that stuff. You know, it's kind of being almost old hat. You know, that montage would be kind of eh. People have done it before. We don't need to do it. We'll just get, get to the get to the next stuff. I mean, to me, watching it now, I know they're in a firehouse, so you got to get to the firehouse. So yeah, yeah, it's basically it's their bat cave. It makes it makes sense, and again, it makes sense as a boy's fantasy. You you want to be firemen. That's sure, one of the things sure. you want to be. You want to be an astronaut. You want to be a fireman. The sad part uh, is that firemen are not allowed to slide down the pole anymore. Because Dan Aykroyd went down. No WCB. Like oh, okay. uh, because of I shouldn't say WCB but because of or OSHA or whatever they call it in the state like you know because of occupational hazards it's caused a lot of back problems. Oh okay. So it's no longer a done thing in fire holes to have a, have a all right fire pole. I always thought like why not a slide? It's fun. It's the same, <laughs> same thing. I don't think it was be fun. I think it was meant to be like fast, but it's kind. Of, it, I guess the quick... slides fast as well. It's fine. Just uh, slide. Uh, it takes a, takes a lot more space though. Where the pole is just like that single pole down into the. Yeah, my feeling. My feeling on it is like when you're doing that whole ringing the bell, waking up immediately and have to grab a pole and slide down it. Um, <laughs> it seems, you know, seems dangerous. A little dangerous <laughs> when you're super sleepy. Be grabbing a pole. Um, okay, so now we're going to go to uh, the home of Dana Barrett, played by Sigourney Weaver. Yes. Jeez, uh, Sigourney Weaver is money in the bank. Anytime you see Sigourney Weaver, you know we're going to be fine. Everything's oh, great. Yeah, she's great. She's, she's um, so great. She plays this role with such knowingness that it's. She just does it really. This, you know, like she knows she's in a comedy, but she doesn't play it like she's in a comedy. She yeah. Plays it like she's in a serious, you know, occult horror movie. And the thing I think that also helps is uh, she's so tall. Yeah. <laughs> that, that that she brings with her uh, some authority, especially like, so when we see her with Rick Moranis, who's kind of a shorter fellow, mm-hmm. you know, and she's looking, she's looking down on him, and he's just doing the Rick Moranis thing, theory. Um, it's <laughs> uh, it, uh, playing Lewis Tully yeah. uh, with the, the great uh, Rick Moranis. Uh, yeah, it's 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 a nice co- comedy image. The, those two talking and him just you know trying to seduce her with his accounting, mm. uh, you know, uh, trivia. It's uh, it's it's good stuff. Uh, I, originally, I heard he was w- supposed to be played by John Candy. Yeah, and that that, that doesn't work for me actually. Why why is that? I just don't. I like the I like the short tall of Rick Moranis and, and Sigourney Weaver. I think. John Candy would have been her equivalent in height, and I think it would would have not had quite as the same feeling to it. He would have nerded it up too, though. He's done. He's done. Oh some yeah. Nerd care. And I love I love Rick Moranis's. Uh, well, the party sequence is, is best of all, where he's just like you know introducing everyone by their by their tax status and their their occupation, and 
you know, this is so and so he was laid off last year, and they're you know living on such and here's she's she's got a such such you know and it's like I like all yeah. his uh, and all this food is deductible, so yeah, yeah it's so good, so good. But anyway, we're not there yet. We're just we're at him trying to uh, suck up to Sigourney Weaver by telling her that someone's been complaining that she left her TV on all day. Right. Oh, by the way, this her. is yeah. This is also where you really do realize this is a meeting of the two comedy forces uh, that were going on then, which was. Saturday Night Live and SCTV. Okay, yeah, we're get, yeah. you know we're getting we're getting like Rick Moranis from SCTV and Harold Ramis from previously from SCTV. That yeah. energy, you know, with the Saturday Night Livers, and here we go, and yeah, they're all at their best. They're mm-hmm. all just like a just a tip top form. Yeah, great. But you're right; it's time for a scary scene again. We've had the funny. Now it's time to up the stakes, and uh, and Dana's bringing those stakes home in a paper bag. Uh, <laughs> She goes, she goes into her uh, apartment, putting away the groceries, uh, but she notices her Don't forget, eggs. she first sees a commercial for Ghostbusters on the TV. That is, yes. They'll believe you. They will believe you. And, uh, and they have a phone number that uh, also belongs to... I don't know who. Jim Rockford. What, 555? Yep. Yeah, they have the same phone number as Jim Rockford. I believe they have the same phone number. I'm trying to think of it's the Bionic Woman. Uh, and uh, we just lifted it for uh, uh, my comic book extra sisters as well. It's just this. Is it uh, a generic number that you, a yep. lot of shows used? Yeah, interesting. Yeah, hmm. it's a fun, it's a fun number, and you know because people like the things that it used to be, it becomes kind of a tribute number as well. Yeah, but yeah, they yeah, yeah. they watch the uh, they watch the awkward uh, commercial uh, that ends with "We're willing to believe you," uh, and then <laughs> yeah, she's putting away her her stuff, and the eggs start. Uh, popping and bursting out of their shells. Uh, we also see off to the side... And, and cooking on the counter. And cooking on the counter. We see off to the side, not cooking on the counter, <laughs> a bag of Stay Puffed Marshmallows. That's right. Now, yeah. here's my question to you, Dave. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dana Barrett, kind of a straight-laced lady. Um, you know, you see inside her fridge at one point. It's pretty basic stuff in the fridge. Well, hey, she gets a comment from Peter... When yeah. he actually sees inside her, which he says, what a bunch of junk food in here. Oh, is that right? Okay. Yeah, so yeah. I was wondering, like, what does she eat? What's with the marshmallows? Lisa said that like, too. Like, why would she have marshmallows? I said, maybe she makes Rice Krispie squares. She might make Rice Krispie squares. That'd be an interesting thing to see. Like, she's a bit of a junk food uh, person. But mm-hmm. I thought I thought it was just uh, a Rick. Uh, sorry. I thought it was just uh, uh, Peter Venkman just being a jerk and uh, and goofing. And uh, maybe it's well, not she really. She has, like, oh. two Cokes in there and a bunch of other stuff. So, okay. Yeah, you drinking a coke and not a tab in the eighties. You got a problem. <laughs> you got a problem. Call yourself a cellist. What are you doing? Yeah, exactly. But you know, uh, you know, it's very passionate from what I've learned from eighties movies about cellists. <laughs> from your footlooses and your witches of Eastwicks. Um, okay, so uh, then she hears a growl coming from uh, her refrigerator, uh, and so when you hear a growl coming from your refrigerator, just don't open it. Don't don't do that. You don't think uh, so. You don't think you should look inside your refrigerator. Not if it's growling. No, <laughs> that's a mistake. Maybe she might have thought it was the motor acting up. I would say first thing you want to do then is you want to turn off your refrigerator mm. uh, and see, hear if the growling stops. If the growling continues, leave, leave. <laughs> maybe call animal control. Anyway, uh, she makes the mistake of opening it and instead sees into what seems to be like another dimension. There's a temple in there. Uh, there's a dog beast. Uh, the uh, the growls at her. Uh, the uh, by the way, the uh, the dog is voiced by Ivan Reitman, the director. Yeah, 
I don't think we've mentioned uh, yet. Uh, and she, so she slams the door shut, as she should. I wish my fridge had an extra dimension. Am I right? <laughs> oh, Dave, no, you don't. No, you wait till you see what happens with this oh. fridge. Mm. It is not. No, 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 sir. No, you don't want I, this. I just, meant I, more, I just meant more room for the milk. But the dog's going to eat it. <laughs> okay, now we're going to go back on to your Ghostbusters. Uh, and uh, and Ray has bought uh, a new car, which is an, a new car. It's an old car. Beat yeah. up ambulance. Uh, now again, yeah. So the Ray thing is, oh my my parents' house. Yeah, I know. And I've just spent like all the I money say, on this, this kind of there's these two sequences that. that kind of undercut that aspect of his character. Actually, three sequences undercut that aspect of his character mm-hmm. because later on they have the, the Chinese food. I think it is. They're eating food anyway, and he says, "Enjoy it, fellas. This is the last of our money." Right. And that's when the that's when the hotel calls, and that's get, they get right. their first job. But they're right, they, yeah. they're, they're right on the brink of, of destruction, and Ray goes and buys Chinese food. Well, here's the other question. Like, okay, okay. Well, but I guess why do you why do you need a secretary? Because we're about to like have uh, Peter meeting the new secretary, Janine. Is yeah. uh, uh, you know he's goofing on goofing on her. She's not taking it. Uh, <laughs> she's a bit of a, a snarky sourball, uh, and uh, he's uh, making fun of her. And uh, yeah, and so she's waiting around for business to happen. What do they need a secretary for? You need a phone. You gotta, you gotta make, you gotta fake it till you make it. This is all they do. She does this. Ghostbusters. What do you want? And then she hits a button. And goes. We got one. Where is it? It's over there. Oh, okay. That's worth minimum wage. When you've got no money. Ugh. Well, but uh, things were things were less automated in those days. Like you pick up your own phone. Can't they're, do that. They're out catching ghosts. Well, then once you've done that, you're fine. You can afford a secretary. You haven't got one ghost yet. Answer your own phone till you have a ghost. Anyway, all right, all right, Mister Practical. Uh, Dana shows up and uh, and uh, wants to know what's going on in her kitchen, and she gets oh, she gets the flirty biz from old Peter Venkman. Old oh boy, up one side of her and down the other. We haven't seen Slimer yet, but we're <laughs> seeing other, Slimer now. This also has another weird aspect to 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 Peter, which is he he kind of insults Janine, yeah, and then he turns around and says, "Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean that." Yeah, he's nagging her. Okay, go on with him. Whatever. No, that's what it is. He's he's making fun of her, breaks down her spirit a bit, and then gives her a compliment and plays a play plays things up sincerely. Yeah, it's it's good old timey uh, nagging. It's what most of these type of guys in these movies do. They'll they'll you know say something snarky and mean, <clears throat> and then uh, it's also a sitcom thing for sure. I guess I'm like, I guess I'm gullible. I took it as sincerity, but anyway. So yeah. uh, Dana comes. Okay, you should watch any other thing from the '80s and see how <laughs> these kind of guys uh, operate. Uh, it's also very, uh, it's also very Groucho Marx too. Back to back to him. Um, so uh, he, uh, so after they uh, discuss, okay, so then um, uh, Egon and Ray examine her uh, and try to decide what could be the cause of her encounter. While again, Peter's flirting. Mm-hmm. Uh, Peter insists on going with Dana back to her apartment. Uh, okay. Uh, and he looks around, checking things, but not really. He's playing on her piano. I love he just, I just goes ding, 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 because it has kind of a horror movie kind of sound to it. Yeah. And then he goes, they hate this. That was, that's great. <laughs> that's great yeah, there's lo- lots of little things that he does mm-hmm. that are very improv mm-hmm. that make that really ground the movie. Yeah, so good. Yeah. Then then uh, Dana has the great part in the, in the movie as well, though, where she says, uh, we both have the same problem. You... <laughs> <laughs> this is a great line. 
<laughs> That's good. Yeah, there's a few. Uh, yeah, there's a few a few good lines in this film that I, I quite enjoyed. Yeah, she's trying to show him the eggs. Uh, he doesn't really seem to care. He's still mm-hmm. flirting, and then uh, he just she just kind of drives him out of the apartment while he's uh, asking for asking for a date. <laughs> so so there you go. Is that is that the point where she's uh, she's taken, or does it happen later? It on? Happens later on. Okay. So, uh, yeah, this is now where the scene where you're talking about where they're sitting around. That's right. We go back to the fire hall and they're having their, they're having their last meal, the last uh-huh. of their cash meal. And that's when Janine yeah, is kind of, kind of shutting down. It looks like she's, you know, everything's dark. She's going home for the night. Right. By the way, how much time do you think has passed since they've started up their business and now that they're out of money? Well, I don't know. Like a third mortgage, I don't know how much money he got. And they s- seem to burn through it pretty quickly because they... We're spending it willy nilly. They bought a fire yeah. hall. Less than a month. Bought a fire hall. They bought a five thousand dollar car that had about four hundred things wrong with it. Hired uh, hired uh, secretary. And also fixed up the inside. Like the inside looks really great. Like all that wood woodwork and stuff like that around the uh, the office area. Right. They also really have. Nice. Uh, also, they have the equipment they were using to examine uh, Dana. Mm-hmm. So uh, that's not all from the yeah. uh, university. And I assume they put in the storage area down below because they. Cause oh, that, yeah. Because at that point, uh, uh, Egon has created like the, the box to trap the ghost in. And so he obviously has the containment unit as well. Right. So he, they've done all this in the hopes that they were going to get a, a ghost and yet never went back to the library to get that one ghost they know is there. <laughs> right. Sure wish someone would call us with a ghost problem. Yeah. <laughs> hey, wait, have, did we ever see a ghost? But wait. They, oh, they also someone for, does call them. What's that, yeah, right? they also paid for commercials on on yeah, tv yeah oh man. afternoon They're... tv this isn't even like late night television like dana's coming home in like midday and she's seeing a commercial on new york television like i can't imagine that's cheap no but okay. uh, but they do get this call from the hotel and then we get what this movie loves and which i think i don't know why i feel like all these guys love this this kind of stuff this boogie boogie music starts playing, and it happens <laughs> earlier in the movie too, where like something happens and it's like do 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 do. Everybody's going to do. And it's like wow, like it just reminded me of like Groundhog Day when, when uh, when Bill Murray's character finally learns you know learns to play the piano and he's playing at that party at the, in the yes, in the, and he starts doing like his kind of like full classical thing, and then starts doing like the whole boogie woogie stuff on the piano. And you're, you're like he spent all that time to learn to do that. That yeah, there's anyone. Anyone could learn to play Boogie Woogie quickly if they wanted to. If you really want to play Boogie Woogie, it's really easy, everybody. Yeah. And there's this uh, background music that plays constantly that's just this bump, bump, bump. And I, I can't repeat it, but like I can't just say it out loud. I probably blocked it out of my head. But I remember playing the Ghostbusters uh, video game mm. years ago. And uh, it was just a just a scene where people are walking around. They started playing that. And I was like, oh, no, not that music. It was just like. <laughs> It, they just play it so much in this. It's just, it's the filler music that they use. Elmer Bernstein's music, yeah. Yeah, something. Uh, so anyway, yes, it's this is this is our, do, okay. They're going, they're going to the hotel now. Which is the Sedgwick Hotel. And the manager, played by Michael uh, Enzyme, who you will see in everything in the 80s as well. Yeah, he's just a great, a great kind of, I don't know we call him campy, but great kind of uptight you know, kind of fancy, fancy pants character. I was just watching Greatest American Hero, and uh, he's the principal, and uh, and uh, Boss and William Cat around, just like, well, you're going to be the vice principal, eh? Well, uh, we'll see how that goes. Hmm. <laughs> that kind of guy. So, so he doesn't get laughs, yeah. but he's the 
old timey. Well, I never. Hmm. <laughs> he does a good job as the manager of the hotel, though. So there's a ghost on the twelfth floor. Uh, you know, and there's always been, they've always, this is a legendary ghost, but it's never caused this kind of problems before. Yes. And now, uh, it's just totally out of hand and, uh, they're going to, they're going to go take care of it. Mm -hmm. So we have that uh, nice ride up in the elevator. Oh, that's such a good scene. Oh, I just love it. I love how they sort of raise back and then both, both Egon and, and, and Peter, you know, shift to the right away from Ray as this, as this, as this. You know, as as a unlicensed nuclear accelerator starts to uh, whir into action, yeah, that's really uh, really quite funny. As if that yeah. would do anything, moving a foot over <laughs> away from a nuclear accelerator. Yeah, this is back when you could just dodge nuclear energy. <laughs> uh, yeah, and they get the thing about, or a guy sees him like, uh, what, are you, what, what are you what are you doing? It's like we're gonna kill a cockroach, and the guest goes, uh, "Gotta be some cockroach. I'll take your head off, man." It's like, <laughs> Guy takes the next elevator, which is very, very smart. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so yeah, we get some good shenanigans uh, while they're searching for this ghost. Oh, that's uh, good. The, the, amount of dis- the amount of destruction in the sequence was very pleasing to me. And you really uh, had a good feeling of how the packs worked at that point. Mm-hmm. Like when they fired the things, and you saw them just like catch stuff on fire. Yeah, and there's yeah. a bit of like pushback. Yeah, and it's good. Fi- it's it was really good physics to it. Mm-hmm. You're like, yeah, okay, now we you get it, and it's kind of like a fire hose a bit. You know, we, <laughs> yeah, under- yeah. we understand it. Yeah. You know, you can picture yourself carrying one of the, these things. And it's kind of uh, a nice tribute to like, say, an all uh, Laurel and Hardy or Three Stooges, where it's just like complete destruction of something. Mm-hmm. You know, like you hire them to paint your house, and you come back later, and your the house is like in pieces because you hired them to paint your house. It feels like that kind of like kind of a tribute to that kind of comedy. Yeah, and again, it's, these guys are basically uh, like pest control. But they've never done it before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's their first job, so you know they wouldn't. No, they wouldn't in any way be be good at it. And then they run up against this ghost, and the ghost was originally called the Onion Head Ghost mm-hmm. because it was supposed to smell terrible. And there was a scene that was cut of a couple that were in a room that were talking about like smelling the ghost, and, and no one cared. It was it wasn't good, so it got <laughs> cut. But they but they based the ghost loosely on uh, John Belushi. Oh, really? That's funny. So, yeah. later, so, uh, later he, he was reappeared as Slimer. Well, this uh, this ghost reappeared uh, named Slimer. Yeah, in the uh, in the second uh, movie they called him Slimer because he was called Slimer in the cartoon series. Oh, that's where I knew him as Slimer. Yeah, I didn't. Yeah. I didn't, she didn't watch much of the cartoon series. The girls did when they were younger. I watched <laughs> it. I liked it. Uh, there was a lot of imagination to it, and there was a lot of very good writers uh, doing it then. <laughs> um, yeah, here's here's one of the things about the ghosts that in a traditional ghost movie you would uh, do this, and again, this is a movie which which does the setups and never does the follow ups. It's just like set up, nah, move it on. Set up, move it on. Um, and maybe maybe that's something to do with drugs. I don't know. I'm just throwing that out there. Uh, but like, if you have a ghost, one of the first things that you kind of go is like, oh, who's this the ghost of? But we never really have that with this. It's just like it's a ghost. Oh, you, but it's not the ghost of. No, it's it's a ghost. Yeah, it's just a ghost. It's like a creature that's called a ghost. <laughs> don't think that it's a dead soul. We don't think that we're going to try and move it on to the next stage of existence. It's just a thing 
we're going to grab it now and we're going to take it. You know, it's, it's just, a, it's like a creature, like any other creature. It's just a supernatural creature. That's, that's all it is. They never get into, yeah, is there an afterlife? What do you believe? Yeah. You know, they well, they do later. a little bit later, but not, not, not really with the, related to the ghosts. And yeah, it's interesting because the same with the library lady, the library ghost as well. They don't, they don't say, Oh, she was an old librarian who used to, there's no like backstory because right? who cares really? Keep going. Well, Just keep the, moving movie. Keep moving. For, Traditionally, in a movie about catching ghosts, you find out who the ghost was. So it's like, oh, yeah, she was always this and pining for that. And it's like, oh, okay, that will help me catch the ghost. Instead, it's just aim the thing at it, shoot it, get it in the box. It's just, you know, it's, it's, it's very forget feelings, zap, 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 shoot it, shoot it, shoot it. Um, you know, and there, and there you are. And, and every time that they do get into later on in other movies and what have you, you know, that it was the ghost of someone, it gets, a, it does get a little weird and a little, well, wait a minute, how's this all work? And, but, and it, yeah, and you're kind of like, well, who cares? Like, it doesn't really yeah. matter who the ghost is. Like, we just want to see them interacting with each other and with, and with the, the activity of catching a ghost. Yeah, this is not, this is not a ghost as much as it's just a goblin. It's just a little weird <laughs> monster that's yeah. eating stuff yeah uh so uh and, and apparently worse than it's ever been uh and uh well that's a that's a good because really that's just that's just pointing to the plot of the film which is that you know ghost activity is ramping up because of this gozer and stuff like that right so and the nice thing with this is they really do play it like it's a job so it's all uh, Venkman is very realistic in the things he's saying even though he's scared mm-hmm. you know he's just just kind of doing the light jokes that you would do, but you believe that a guy like him would do them. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so uh, Ray tries to hit the ghost with his proton pack, but he's scared uh, and uh, <laughs> it misses and it flies away scared. Uh, and then uh, it runs into Peter who is uh, slimed by him. Cause he's the funniest guy to slime. Yeah, that's good. That's it wouldn't be good. funny if Ray was slimed. He did kind of enjoy it. Uh, it wouldn't be funny. I'm uh, sorry. It, it would, uh, no, I mean, it wouldn't be funny if Egon was slimed. Egon would just be like, ah, oh, fascinating. Uh, <laughs> yeah, it wouldn't yeah. be funny if Ray was slimed because you don't want to see a dog get slimed and he's a puppy. <laughs> but the guy with dignity, oh, yeah, you want to see him get slimed. Uh-huh. So, yeah, he's uh, feeling very funky, he says. Yeah, uh, that's good. Um, yeah, and then interesting in the ballroom part of this, the chase sequence, that's where we first learn that they should not cross their streams. Again, they're terrible at this. Yeah, <laughs> awful things. Uh, so yeah, uh, uh, Egon calls them into the ballroom, uh, and uh, they're gonna try and catch the ghost, shooting their weapons all over, doing a lot of destruction. Peter uh, uh, pulls a <laughs> tablecloth off. Uh, I love that. Fancy me. I also love when Ray goes when Ray shoots the the giant chandelier down, and he's like, "I'm sorry, fellas. That that was my fault. I I shot the chandelier down." <laughs> And then, and then Peter says, "It's okay, Ray. The table broke its fall. <laughs> That's good. Oh, it's too good. Very a lot of yeah. good jokes in this film. Yeah, Ray's good because Ray actually cares that he's causing the destruction. That <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like if there were just three guys going, it's like it'd be it'd be interesting to watch, but it wouldn't have the impact of like Ray being uh because uh, Ray cares about money. If there's one thing we know Ray cares about, it's money and how much things cost. <laughs> and they do finally trap the ghost. And yeah. uh, it's it's nice because, again, the physics are good. Mm-hmm. It's like, okay, you've, you, you, you catch him in a stream, the same stream that's very destructive, 
also somehow has a grabbing function. Not 100% sure how that works. Uh, but then they slowly lower him into the box. Uh, Ray says, uh, you know, don't, or one of them says, don't look in the box. But uh, Egon looked in the box. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I looked in the box, Ray. I don't really, I don't. Uh, for me, a movie about ghosts doesn't really have to have like a pure scientific basis to it. I'm, I'm okay with fudging on the uh, what these rays actually do. It's okay. Yeah, it's inter- it's internal logic. Either you care about it or you don't. How's a how's a lightsaber work? I don't know. You either care about it or you or you don't. Yeah. And it's like well, at one point a guy just grabs it by the lightsaber bit. Oh, really? Does that happen? No, it doesn't. But okay. see, that's what I mean. <laughs> would that bother you? Why would it bother you? It's just a lightsaber. Who cares? What, uh, well, I mean, I agree with you internal 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 log- in logic, but I feel like yeah, with these. Streams, you don't really left, like have to know exactly how they work. They just they work. There's one scene where he goes, "Shorten your ray, shorten your stream ray, mm-hmm. or shorten your stream." Peter and, and Egon says, and, and I'm looking at, I'm thinking to myself, how do they shorten the stream? Like, is there like a dial or something? But yeah, the other question is, have they ever used these before? Like, how does he, yeah, you're right. How does he know how to shorten the stream? Yeah, yeah. Like, did, did they not in the car ride over discuss how the <laughs> read the manual? <laughs> Yeah, what's the plan? No discussion whatsoever. Let's <laughs> no. just go in. Let's just show up and this. see what happens. So um, they've ca- they've caught the ghost. It's uh, yeah. smoking in the box. Uh, light goes, uh, you know, the light is blinking red. Uh, but uh, they caused $5,000 in damage. Uh, and, uh, of course, the manager says, well, I won't pay it. And then he's going to release it back into the building. Oh, I guess I'll pay it. <laughs> so there you go. And then they become celebrities. Yeah. So this is odd to me, this bit, because uh, this was... Is it seen- is the odd part of the bit the fact that they open the montage sequence with, with Dana doing some uh, aerobics in her apartment watching television? <laughs> and so you get a really good view of, of Sigourney Weaver's protruding vertebrae? Uh, no, that just feels like it's the 80s. Okay. They were trying to remind you, hey guys, did you remember it was the 80s? <laughs> eh, you but it was the 80s. They don't have to remind people it was the 80s. It was taking place in the 80s. We had no we had no concept that we were in the 80s in the 80s. Oh, well, if you remember you were in the 80s when you were in the 80s, and buddy, you weren't in the 80s. Exactly. Anyway, um, I think that Reagan guy is going to do all right. Uh, but yeah, For we himself. get the montage of magazines. But the my, my thing with that is... Uh, like I get that that moves the plot along, mm-hmm. but it also feels like really borrowing from the ending of Stripes, where it was, uh, you know, all the magazine covers, you know, everyone now is famous and you see Bill Murray on the cover of, you know, Time magazine and all these other magazines. And now he's back on the cover of Time magazine here, you know, and yeah. it's all kind of, kind of funny, you know, it's, it's less funny, outright funny headlines on the magazines and more just a montage of magazines. Yeah. But, you know, it's uh, it's doing the same kind of thing to, you know, because you can tell these are guys, at least Harold Ramis and whatever, that were kind of from the Lampoon. And the Lampoon would do uh, funny magazine covers. Yeah. And, you know, kind of mad magazine type spoofs. And so, you know, here's an opportunity right now to do a bunch of magazine covers. And the, <laughs> and the old and the old timey days, it would be a spinning newspaper headline with Ghostbusters do this. Da 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 da. Maya gives key to Ghostbusters, and so yeah, they're doing they're doing uh, a bunch of magazines. And but my 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 thing with this is they're now insanely famous, insanely yeah. famous. They're on the cover of everything. <laughs> yeah. So why why at their firehouse 
first of all, they must have money now. Or do they? We're never really clear whether they're doing well or not. Like they always still seem to, you know, there's no difference to the firehouse or their lifestyle or they're having fancy Chinese food. They're just how they are. Yeah. You know, uh, Bill Murray isn't spending a lot of money on Dana now that he's a big shot. And he also doesn't, also he doesn't change his ways around Dana now that he's, he, he could go over and go like, have you seen the cover of Time magazine? <laughs> have you seen? Yeah, yeah. And also every other magazine, Yeah. Uh, you know they're insanely famous there should be like a crowd around the firehouse always always you know and uh yeah there's 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 none of that it was just you know everyone everyone believes them now and it's all fine and we're moving along mm-hmm. keep yeah the, keep the putt moving is this movie's mantra right we get a, a joe franklin uh appearance we get sure. a larry king appearance yeah. who uh, looks exactly the same now as he did then yeah, and he's been in a lot of movies. There was a there was a thing I did once where I tried to link all the different Larry King appearances in movies and go like, what if Larry King is the is is the one consistent, and all of these movies then took place in the same universe? Would that work? And it it, it can, it really can if you go like it's all a Larry King world. Huh. Um, but but yeah, even though we've now established that they are the most famous people in the world, mm-hmm. also by the way, no one deals with the fact that it's just like, hey, ghosts are real. Yeah. Is that a fact? Yeah. You know ghosts are real? No. You know, that's not the cover of anything. Just these guys. Catching ghosts. Yeah, yeah. Discussing then, is that okay? That you're catching ghosts? Where are you putting these ghosts? Can I see these ghosts? Only one guy seems to care. This is very strange. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, Peter uh, is meeting with Dana after her orchestra practice. No one bothering him. Uh... That's not uh, what happens next. Flirting with her? Am I wrong? Oh, yes. He meets... Um, Wait, wait. He meets up with... Um, No. First, we get the ghost BJ. That's during the montage oh, sequence. Okay. All right. Great. So we, we cannot pass up me- mentioning the ghost beat blowjob because it's so fantastically embarrassing for everyone involved. Okay, so what's happening here is is that uh, we're having a montage showing they're very, very famous now. Mm-hmm. They are so famous that now Dan Aykroyd can have a dream about getting a blowjob. <laughs> Finally. Now we know he has no money worries. Yeah. Because he's and having the ori- dreams about... Yeah, it was a it was a cut scene from, you know, original version of the of the film where they actually were in a house and then a ghost did uh, uh, sexually, you know, satisfy whatever <laughs> him. And I don't know if afterwards yeah. he caught her or not, but that's weird, right? That's yeah. a, that's no, it's, it's another weird like, thing. Yeah, it's, it's no like, one's going you, to deny these movies are weird, I hope. Yeah, but there's an ethical problem of just like, you know what? Look, man, I don't mind that you're, put, you're catching them and put them in a box, but you can't have them doing like uh, sexual favors for you and then <laughs> catch them and put them in a box. <laughs> seems, yeah, seems only fair. Yeah, it, it feels like it's something from a very different movie. So then the montage sequence basically ends with, with them hiring um, Winston. Ernie Hudson arrives and right. they hire Winston Zedmore. Right. And again, this would be one of those things where you would have a montage mm-hmm. of the different people who would want to be hired by the Ghostbusters, but they're all fans or they're all crazy. Yeah. And it makes sense to hire him. I, I get, but I think that the more the scene is more, is more played like he's the first person who came. They need someone. You're hired. Yeah, but they're the most famous people in the world. That's the thing. 
like, yes, he did come. Yeah. But like, he came, but he knows that these guys were on the cover of Time magazine mm. and Rolling Stone mm-hmm. and The Atlantic. Yeah. And we're just on Larry King. Yeah. And like, and so, you know, it's not just a, we put a, an ad in the paper, you showed up, hey, how you doing? This would work if this was right before they got famous. Yeah. Yes. But, uh, but at this point, just one guy shows up and you hired him. Why just one guy? You got a lot of work. You're the most famous people in the world. You're telling me in New York City, four of you can handle all the ghosts in New York. Well, how many ghosts are in New York City? Are there ghosts in other parts of the world? What? Like, there's just so many questions that are answered that are, you know, opened up by this uh, situation. You know, and it's just like, no, it's just a guy. He showed up. Yeah. And like, like to me, again. If you had if you had the weirdos uh, trying out first, and then he just comes and goes like, "Hey man, you pay me a salary, I'll I'll do whatever you want." Yeah, let's get this guy, that <laughs> guy, the sensible guy. Yes, him. That makes sense. And then yeah, you hire him, and now now we got a reason for having this guy. He was supposed to be in the movie much 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 earlier. Ernie Hudson, when he was flicking through the script, was just like, well, "Where am I?" And then gets to the last third of the movie, and like, yeah. "There you are. Why?" <laughs> What's ha- what happened to my part? Yeah, yeah, we had to make some cuts. Did you? <laughs> my jokes. Um, yeah, we had to make some cuts. Did you? Okay. Why did they do that to his part? Because he wasn't Eddie Murphy anymore. Oh. That's why. And then the other guys wanted, I guess, you know, funny roles and things. And it was just an afterthought. And uh, then he became an afterthought. Huh. And it's, you know, he wasn't even on the poster, uh, you know, uh, when he's one of the four Ghostbusters, yeah, it's very, very strange. It's, it is very strange. Like whenever they do get into a discussion about it, it is kind of awkward. It basically does come down to just like, yeah, but they didn't care, and he was there, and it doesn't matter, and who cares? Yeah, it's just like that's not great. Don't look back. Uh, Keep moving I mean, forward. I my, yeah, I've got a little bit of uh, my own fan fiction on uh, on uh, on Winston Zedmore. Dave, you can tune out to this for a second uh, i'll just talk to the listeners uh and my my uh my idea on uh, winston zedmore to make him work is he's actually a ghost and at this point uh you know he he was a he was a ghost and uh he was worried about being caught and so he decided to actually work with these guys and but he hated the city and then by the end he like loves loves it all and everything and he's all fine but he's a he's a ghost which is why you get no backstory at all anyway winston zedmore's a ghost Moving on, Dave. Oh, hi, I'm back. Okay. I went to get a paper towel. I spilled some water. Oh, no. Are you sure it's not slime? I took you at your word that I could leave. Very good. (laughs) So, um, I think... Because it's weird that he's hired immediately. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, I I, I agree. It's strange. But once again, I just feel like this movie is very much no shorthand. Like, no, it's all shorthand. No, no, like, expected, you know, no, no, like, long drawn out kind of jokey elements of the film there's very little in that way of repeating jokes and things like that it's all very much done well, most, quickly most, most of the people in this come from a history of improv mm-hmm. and uh what it feels like to me is an improv scene where people keep throwing in new offers but not paying off any of the offers that they accept <laughs> probably and then all of a sudden a character comes in and that's your winston zedmore character and you're like oh i guess he's in this now all right, and then you just keep you just keep going forward and uh, never acknowledge what's what's happened in the past and never talk about how this is all affecting the world. I wonder. So, I wonder if when Harold Ramis came in to work on Dan Aykroyd's script, if this was as close as he could get to it, like a a, a, a you know quote unquote normal script for the film, 
Do you know what I mean? Like, Dan Aykroyd kind of resisted a lot of the changes that he made. And and also, I mean, there were cuts made to the film. So there may be elements that were did come back up or were explained in some way in the film, but were left on the cutting room floor, whether for time or they just kind of weren't funny or they broke down the, the, the pacing of the movie. So, you know, it's possible that... that um, it's possible, is what I'm saying, is that the movie is not exactly as... You know, as anyone like if if as you say, Dan Eckert had a kind of a, a a loony script, a zany script that, um, and I do think that Harold Ramis was brought in to to punch it up and kind of streamline it a bit. I just wonder if there's a certain amount of resistance from Dan Aykroyd over, you know, like this is my idea, you know, I don't want it being changed that much and blah blah blah, and so you know, Harold Ramis is kind of like, okay, well, let's just add this, but we don't need to explain everything that we're doing. We'll just kind of throw in this one scene. I gotta say, I've never heard anyone say about Dan Aykroyd that he was hard to work with. No, I've never, I've, yeah, I've, that's your point. I've yeah. never heard. I've never heard that. You know, I, 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 I don't know. Maybe, maybe, but that seems a little, you know, out of character for him. Out of character for him, like mm-hmm. yeah, resisting. You know, like no, this is my vision. That's <laughs> a real Dan Aykroydy thing to do. Well, someone has to explain Transylvania six five thousand. Yeah, money, drugs. <laughs> <laughs> good drugs is good. Good enough. All right. So, so uh, Winston sh- shows up. Winston shows up for the at, plot to start, and then we have Dana and Peter meet outside of the the concert hall, where he is mm-hmm. doing kind of a grocho thing across the street that she sees him. Very charming. Yeah. Very charmingly walking while she's with her her uh, neurasthenic, uh, you know, then fellow uh, musician. And right. Peter's like a good contrast. A little contrast. bit boring, a little bit fey. Yeah, and yeah. Peter's a good kind of salt-of-the-earth contrast to this person who it probably is a nice person, probably a very nice guy, but, you know, is a different sort of person than what Peter is, you know? And so yeah. you get that contrast, and she's kind of like, eh, I get this at work. This guy looks, this schlub across the street with his giant boots on, you know, it's sort of appealing to me right now. Yeah, this guy, the most famous guy in the world. Yeah, he's appealing yeah, to yeah. me now. Um, <laughs> no. Yeah, let's turn around. Let's turn around and look at the magazine stand. What? That's all him. <laughs> He's just a guy who's rich as well, probably at this point as well. Um, yeah, and so uh, when do we introduce uh, her, him telling her about Zool? Well, this is now. He he has a piece of paper. Yeah, and he says, "I discovered who Zool is because that was a name that she heard being spoken from the fridge from the dog." Yeah, which was played by uh, Ivan Reitman. Yeah. That's right. And so it turns out that Zool was some sort of demigod, a Sumerian demigod that was, uh, um, it has something to do with another being called Gozer. Gozer, yeah. And that's all he has for her. Now, here's my question at this point. Mm -hmm. Does Peter believe this? Does Peter believe that there really is like a Gozer and Zool and all this kind of stuff? Well, he he believes that that is... Yeah, um... So he believes in ghosts because mm-hmm. he sees ghosts on a regular basis. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Does he believe that there's an ancient Sumerian god of destruction that's going to, you know, is is in any way endangering her? Does well, he believe in if, ancient gods? If we see, Ritz? if we see his attitude to her when he does come to her apartment when she has been possessed, he doesn't seem to believe because he doesn't. He reacts to that as if she's just being weird, not that she's been possessed, which. You think someone who was dealing regularly with ghosts and ghost type problems that you would 
you'd be more receptive to the idea that, oh, wait a second, this person that I know fairly well is not acting like themselves. Maybe something's wrong. But instead, right. he's, instead he's kind of like, oh, you're being a little zany. Yeah, you can go a couple of ways with Peter here. Peter is the guy who can adjust the best of anyone to a situation. Mm-hmm. So if anything, if something horrific is happening, Peter's the guy who will see it, react to it, yeah. adjust to it, okay. make a choice on it, act on it. Uh, Ray will panic, <laughs> and Egon will freeze. Winston will be cut out of the shot for the TV version. <laughs> straight out. Um, but something we we we, we <laughs> never get with Peter yeah. is the con man seeing that is the thing that he was conning about was real, and then it's even more so, and then it's even more so. Like he just he just seems to adjust immediately to yeah. This is just yeah. how things are. Oh, now it's even more. Oh, it's well, I guess it's the eighties eighties ironic persona writ large, really. You know, nothing, nothing can break this ironic facade, mm-hmm. and that, and that's really is 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 very much him. So then we cut back to the fire. Oh, by the way, she agrees to go on a date with him. That's so right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Hey, well, you you wore her down. <clears throat> well done. Well, well done, buddy. This is the eighties, yeah. and that's how we do it. <laughs> well, you know, you gotta. If this was a gotta sitcom, show, you gotta prove your worth. Fourth worthy. season, buddy. Fourth yeah. season, wear them down. You gotta prove you're worthy. So then uh, we come back to the fire hall, and this is this the containment system scene, yeah. where William Atherton shows up and uh, and talks to Peter, and he wants to see the he wants to see the the uh, containment system, and Peter is for no reason at all becomes obstructive and and uh, yeah. like you get to say yeah sure I mean so wait it's just downstairs and we'll take a look at it you know after these infinite magazine articles and uh, <laughs> being on television and advertising on television yeah. you're saying someone from the EPA wants to look at our basement <laughs> well, I, that is not how new york works sir i'm sorry i yeah it's very strange <laughs> yeah it's strange and this is where i wrote my little note in 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 my notes which was uh, government oversight versus free enterprise and then i like the fact that in the same sequence well, the EP is there, and we've discussed this earlier, but I'll just highlight this again. When, well, the EP is there, Walter Peck, who we're supposed to dislike, although I, I actually, I think I secretly admire him. Yes. For his, for at least, at least he's the one person who's gone there and said, listen, I hear you guys have like ghosts. What are you, yes. What are you doing with all this energy? And if not that, the nuclear packs on your back. Yeah. And yeah, how about that? Here's another idea. You've got all this ghost energy. Why not harness it for power as a power source? Well, that's using so that's slavery. They're probably bad. That's <laughs> slavery. They're dead. But it is it is like confinement of sentient beings. That's not that's not the best thing in the world. Uh, either. Oh, there's so many ethical questions. Now here's my here's my question though hmm. is like, do you think that Peck believes that there are ghosts? Uh, I guess he thinks there's something because he wants to see what they're how they're storing this. But is it because he thinks it's all bullshit? No, no, he's so worried. you think he believes there's ghosts? Yeah, I mean, who doesn't? They're Ghostbusters. They're busting ghosts. Well, no, people I, are calling them. He, people are calling them to come. Ghosts. Well, what do you think he thinks it is then? If he, he, why would he care then? I think he thinks that they're scam artists. Like, doesn't he say that? that oh, he does that uh, later on, but it doesn't make sense, does it? What do you mean? Well, if they're scam artists and there's nothing there, but so if, okay, why is the, the EPA? He's, regular- he's not a he's not a he's not a regulatory like he's not he's not a like commercial regulator. He's a he's a environmental regulator. That's correct. Yes. So what does he care if it's fake? 
That is not in oh, his because jurisdiction. They're using nuclear backpacks and something uh, untoward. Uh, f- uh, full of energy in his basement th- in New York. That's not that's not what he's concerned about, though. He's not concerned about their their how they capture these pretend ghosts. He wants to know about the containment system for these ghosts. Yeah, like but so. I if he didn't believe in the, the environmental impact, so that's a good of- that's a good point. So if he didn't believe in the ghosts, like because later on, yeah, he says that he thinks he's that they're charlatans. Although maybe he thinks that because they wouldn't show him the actual containment system, so that made him think that. They're not on the level that because they're hiding something, and the thing they're hiding is they don't actually have ghosts. Yeah, again, this is the this is my problem. Is like, does do everyone in New York now believe in ghosts? Like, has everything changed right now? Yeah, and now everyone, all these cynical New Yorkers, hey, I'm walking <laughs> here, I'm a New Yorker, right? <laughs> and now they're like, hey, it's a ghost, and ghost. I believe in it. Like, I've... does Walter Peck, who's a guy who's you know kind of a yeah, he's very pompous, yeah, he's you know EPA guy. You know, uh, I don't think he believes in ghosts before any of this. You know, he's well, like no, a science he didn't, guy. He didn't believe in ghosts before this, but... Yeah, and now these... these. Uh, I mean, clearly Peter is a con man. Yeah. He can see Peter for what he is. And he is right. Peter <laughs> is a con man. Good job, Pat. I mean, he is a con man, but he's not conning people that they're catching ghosts. They are actually catching ghosts. Agreed? You agree with um, that, right? Or you disagree with me that they're ca- actually catching ghosts? He's still conning people because he's... But they are conning, catching ghosts. No, but he's still conning people because he's conning Dana. Like, he's, he's, he's feeding her a line, and he's, you know, making getting her to go on a date with him before he's going to, like, tell her anything. Yeah. And he's just... I think he just makes up crap. Like, I'm sure if he goes to, like, a, if he goes to like a house to bust a ghost, yeah. he doesn't tell them actual facts about, here's, here's what's up with this ghost. He's just like, yeah, he's just talking some, talking some shit. And then goes in and then, yeah, yeah. yeah he has well, been actually catching ghosts because he's got people with him who know how to catch ghosts. Correct. But I think he's a, he's a, he's a, okay, but, what, a but whatever. I mean, that's not, that's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that, okay, we have two, we have two problems or we have okay. one problem and, and it divide, it kind of falls on either side of this, this divide. One is either Walter Peck believes that they have ghosts and is concerned with how they're being stored and he wants to see their storage facility, which is a containment system. Okay. And Peter says no and won't let him see it. Or Peck believes that they are not catching ghosts, that they are frauds and charlatans. Yes. And that, and that they're pretending to catch ghosts. And if that's what he what? thinks, then why is he worried about a containment system that is empty of ghosts? Well, here's okay. I'm gonna because that's gonna, what he wants to see. He does not. No, no. He does not ask to see their 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 capturing systems. He doesn't want to see their streams. No. He wants to see their containment system. That's right, what he asks. That's what he asks my, in that scene. My take on this then is is that he doesn't think that there are ghosts because otherwise it makes no sense that he would turn off the containment system. Like if he thinks there are ghosts in there, yeah. Then by like I, it's like going like, are you capturing like uh, cheetahs? I believe you are. Okay, yeah. and what do you got? I've got a fenced off box where I can't see inside, and you're saying that you've ca- caught a lot of cheetahs in there. Yeah. If I think that you've caught a lot of cheetahs in there, mm. I'm not going to go. I'm going to release all the gates because I, I, because uh, there's no re that would make no sense because they were going to get full of cheetahs and people are going to get eaten. Yeah. But if I don't think that you've been catching cheetahs mm-hmm. and you've just been lying, yeah. then yes, open the gates. I'm going to prove you're a fraud. I'm going to turn your system off yeah. and that'll prove you were a fraud the whole time. Everyone will know because I'll say I turned your system off. And so clearly you weren't catching ghosts. Good on me. There we go. I've uh, I proved that this was all uh, bullshit. 
That's okay. the only way that would make sense. Sure. And then, Otherwise, so, he's a, a maniac. But then the, sure. real, then the real problem is, is why is he there? Because it, in no way what they're doing has anything to do with the Environmental Protection Agency. If it is, in fact, fake and is not a real ghost containment system, then it, it no way falls under the purview of the Environmental Protection Agency. It does. This is, for, this no, is something... Does. No, no, because this is... It's yes. a, why? What is... What is what I will tell you What why. environment is he protecting? I will tell you why. Sure. Because these fellows yeah. are running around yeah. with unlicensed <laughs> nuclear But he doesn't... Backpack. But he doesn't... Yes, he does know that. But he doesn't Let's care go. about that. Because that's no, not what he... he does care about that. That's not what he demands to see, though, or to control. No, no, because... Listen... That's no, not no, what he no, demands no. to see your control. Oh, yeah. Just let me finish and you'll, you'll get what I'm saying. No, no. Okay, go ahead. Okay, this will make sense. Okay. Uh, one, of the, one of the magazine covers yeah. is an Omni magazine. And sure. it's got secrets behind the backpack. Mm-hmm. So the backpack is there. Yeah. So, so to the general public, they know how the backpack works. And they know that these fellows, these four fellows, run around with unlicensed nuclear backpacks. Okay? Now, as the guy who, who's with the EPA... He does not want these guys running around with nuclear backpacks. If there's a car accident, we're in a lot of trouble. If, if these things explode, there's a lot of trouble. The only way they're justified having these unlicensed nuclear backpacks is if there is supernatural entities that they are catching with these that are a greater threat than them having unlicensed nuclear backpacks. If he can prove to people there's no ghosts, they haven't been catching anybody, this has all been a scam, then he can get them on the unlicensed nuclear backpacks. He can't just go, hey, look, these backpacks, huh? Because people will then go, yeah, they caught ghosts with them. We need that. The, the end, that, yeah. doesn't, that doesn't get him anywhere. The only way he proves their frauds and gets to shut all their business down, which is unsafe, which he knows is unsafe, is if he can prove there are no ghosts. Only way he can prove there's no ghosts, turn off the... A containment unit and so that's why he does if he thinks there's ghosts there's no way he's turning off that containment unit otherwise he's a maniac <laughs> all right all right so then we cut to a shot of the top of the building that dana and lewis live in okay. which is weird because it's like no one has ever looked at it and realized there's an altar on top of their building <laughs> yes it's very clearly an altar very clearly like a religious temple that's set up on the top of this building. Well, and there's one thing you've got to know about New Yorkers. Yeah. They do look up. Well, but they do wash windows. And so I assume that window mm-hmm. washers have been up there to I lower down their scaffolding it. and looked around and said, you ever notice that this looks like an altar and a temple? Isn't that weird? No one, no one has ever noticed. And But this night is significant because Lewis is celebrating his fourth year as an accountant by throwing a party at his... his uh, hoity-toity digs it's pretty strange that he's got this very nice he's in a very yeah. nice building we have established that dana has a penthouse apartment lewis is on the same floor as her and so does he have a penthouse apartment yeah he's uh and he's, and he's only been four years in as an accountant so he must be doing some ozark style money yeah, laundering for someone <laughs> yeah he's a crook for sure there's no choice about that yeah absolutely <laughs> but he is of course hosting a party that dana has conveniently forgotten about Probably part of the reason she agreed to a date with Peter was to get out of Lewis's party. Um, one interesting thing in the party is, well, I love the fact that he's, as we said earlier, introducing everyone by their by their income, their job, you know, yes. how they where they fall in uh, in the tax situations, and also there's a uh, a statuesque blonde lady at the party that he begins to dance with very qu- very shortly because he then has to run off to answer the door. But that was uh, Casey Kasem's wife. 
Oh, okay. Which I I just kind of clicked on her because um, she was noted as tall woman at party, and I was like, and her name was Jean Kasem, and I was like, oh. That's interesting. So then I looked and went, oh, she was Casey Kasem's wife at this time, who is also in the movie because his voice is on the radio uh, talking about the Ghostbusters at one point when uh, Dana's listening to the radio. Oh, Oh, we did miss a a very famous line, Mm. uh, which is uh, when Egon's explaining to Winston how the uh, the facility works and uh, the trapping of the ghost works. He mentions that uh, the city is experiencing uh, an increasing uh, paranormal activity, comparing it to a 600 pound Twinkie. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Which then Peter comes down and gets, gets the, uh, just the Twinkie analogy without any context and <laughs> doesn't understand. Um, so yes, then we go to uh, Dana's apartment mm-hmm. where she has been, because uh, we actually kind of missed a little bit. She goes, we go to her apartment where she is kind of taken into the kitchen and see some sort of supernatural means when one of the dog creatures from the roof has now become alive. Yeah. And is in her apartment and she's pulled into the kitchen where she disappears into like a very bright light and a lot of fog machine. Right. She's in, a ch- she's in a chair and then hands come out yeah. and, uh, yeah. and uh, grab her boob because it's uh, the 1980s. And that's what we're going to do. <laughs> and then, yeah. And uh, we'll pull into another reality. I'm sure. Uh, I'm sure uh, when um, uh, Rick Moranis is uh, possessed later, uh, they grab his dick. I'm pretty sure it's fair. Mm. It's, they're just horny, well, uh, horny not? demons from another dimension. Sure. Uh, then, yeah. So we cut to Lewis's party where he is. Uh, he is attacked by a dog who chases him out of his own party down an elevator out into the street. He runs across the street, runs into Central Park, goes to, uh, I guess, the tavern on the green. I think so. There's yeah. a restaurant there where apparently there's a, a, a girl having a birthday party. <laughs> that girl is played by Debbie Gibson, the, oh, nice. the pop okay. songstress of the 80s, mm-hmm. which I was surprised to. Once again, while you're looking through IMDb, those are the things you discover. Like, oh, oh, Ron Jeremy. Oh, Debbie Gibson. <laughs> oh. And so then, uh, so we don't see him. Once again, kind of like Dana, we just kind of fade. He's facing off with, with this monstrous dog-like creature well it's great because he bangs on the glass first <laughs> yes yes and everyone ignores him because he's a nebbish who would pay well, attention they to him first and then like mm, not worth it and then the New York <laughs> <laughs> that's right <laughs> not that interesting i thought he might be a mime but no anyway so then he is uh, captured by the by the dog creatures and then we cut to peter venkman arriving with his with his flowers it's a date of course so he's got his got his roses and he kind of walks up through through the debris at the front of the building where the dog has destroyed a bunch of the entryway. And then he goes upstairs to, to Dana's floor, and it's also covered with debris from the dog uh, spoiling Lewis's party. And then he goes to Dana's apartment, knocks on the door, and then she answers the door and full-on sexy 80s girl. Or 80s now, woman. did she have that outfit, or did the demons possess? Uh, uh, just give her, give her it. They, I think that she, I think it's a supernatural outfit myself. Nice. Okay. Much like her makeup is also provided mm-hmm. supernaturally. And uh, of course she says, are you the key master? And he says, Peter says, no. And she shuts the door right away. <laughs> then he knocks the gate and he, he does not claim to be the key master, but he kind of uh, obfuscates and gets into the apartment that way. And she then, uh, I guess she goes to the bed and she's being very enticing and, you know, and this is his chance. Now, if he was a yeah. true dog, he would take advantage of this moment, but he doesn't. He acts in an un-Peter Venkman-like way and resists her enti- enticements and attempts to like, you know, she, I guess she's, he maybe thinks she's drunk. I don't know. It's one of those things where you're like, you know, you've experienced all this stuff. 
you're not really putting two and two together, are you, Peter? Like you've already discussed like the fact that there's who Zool is, and now you're seeing some kind of spooky things happening in this apartment, but you're still kind of ignoring them and just assuming everything has some sort of earthly meaning to it rather than a cult or whatever, mm-hmm. interdimensional. Even though you've been dealing with ghosts, it's interesting. Um, I don't know when his character when his character actually accepts the idea that there are ghosts. Because not yet. <laughs> well, I mean, he accepted the idea there were ghosts in the library because <laughs> he saw a ghost. I guess, but... You know, so he thinks that, but whatever's going on with Dana... Yeah. Uh, like, again, does he believe the things he was talking about with Gozer and Zul? Um, I mean, he believes he, it's it it's a thing, you know, the same way that if we're talking about Ball, you know, or, or I, Ball's the only one I can think of off the top of my head right now. But anyway, if we're talking about, you know, the Canaanite god Ball, we talk about Ball. It's not that, it doesn't mean we believe in Ball, but we talk about it as, it, as, a, as a, a factual belief of those people. And he's talking about Zul as a factual belief of these Sumerian people, but mm-hmm. not, not something that has any import or impact on his, on our lives nowadays. Right. Yeah, this is the this is the thing. It's like if you had Egon and uh, and uh, Ray there, Ray would immediately believe and be spouting facts. Uh, and uh, yeah, yeah, e- yeah. You know, e- Egon would be you know stating like how to drive the spirit out of her sure. and probably kill her. He'd have a something sim- like he'd have that. A, without... Some sort of reader going yeah. and trying to. And uh, and yeah, Peter would be the more realistic person there. But because Peter's the only person there, uh, he's he's he you know, is doing like the comedy shtick to this kind of possessed, you know, almost uh, exorcist yeah. uh, type situation, yeah. but sex, maybe sexorcist uh, <laughs> type, type situation. Sweet but she starts, flo- she starts floating. So there's no two ways about it. She's, mm. uh, she's, there's something supernatural going on here. He kn- he knows that. I guess. Well, he knows it when she's floating. There's I guess no he to- does. He's still, not, he makes, not faking that. He makes cracks about it later on in a weird way. But anyhow, so then, um, it's- thing <laughs> it's like he's he's never the only time he is you know he's he is startled at times but he is very accepting of everything that happens to him mm-hmm. yes yeah he's the he's that, the he's the adjuster never he let that the, ironic facade fall he is the flexitarian who can <laughs> you know adjust to whatever is going on and, sure. and survive sure all right so he he drugs dana mm-hmm. so she is knocked she is un, she is knocked unconscious and then he uh he calls. Does he call Ray on the phone and talk to him? I think he oh, does, right? That is a good. Uh, that is a good question. I can't can't quite remember what happens there. Because then we cut back to the fire hall, mm-hmm. where uh, where Ray, where Lewis is brought by the police because they have no other idea what to do with this crazy guy, but drop him off right. with the Ghostbusters. So they put the uh, the the strainer on his head, the colander on his head, <laughs> and they're with, doing a scan of him. And that's yeah. cool because then you can see like this. You see, it's it's Lewis, but then when you look at the the monitor, it's like one of those dog-like creatures mm-hmm. in the monitor. So that's kind of neat. So they can see that something is possessing him; that he's not not who he appears to be. But it, he calls, says his name is Vince Clortho, and he is the keymaster, right? Which is of course what Dana was looking for because she was the gatekeeper. Is that what she was? Yeah, and this is where this is weird to me. It's like okay, so he's a dog named Vince Clortho. Yeah. Uh, what? <laughs> was yeah. Vince Clortho like an architect of something and so from the from the past and so he then turned into a dog and is now a, a person that's actually a dog that's possessing him that's a weird thing he's got two names like, yeah, what's yeah. The dog's name but Clortho wasn't Anderson. <laughs> Clortho wasn't the name of the architect who, who designed the building though 
Okay. That was a different person, right? This is a this is a this is all excellent questions. Well, I I I, I just took, I just took some a few notes, so I, I can't I can't uh, I didn't I didn't no, catch it's a, the name. It's a demigod. Okay, here's who he is. Vince uh, Clortho is a demigod and loyal minion who obeys the Destructor yeah. and possesses Louis Tully. Yeah. Uh, uh, yeah. He's assumed to be male because uh, he possessed a male host instead of a female host. Mm-hmm. That's it. Yeah. I like when he describes the the situation to to uh, Egon and is it just Egon and Janine that are there? I think so. Yeah, and I think like Vin's Clortho has to be an inside joke name. There's no two ways, <laughs> right? Like that's got to be like what's his name, Vin's Clortho. Yeah, like there's got to be a guy named Vin. I don't know if you listen to like that whole. It would be interesting uh, to have like a transcript of that whole of that whole monologue, because not only. F- to admire Rick Moranis for being with the spout, all that nonsense. Right, but he's but, that kind of guy. But there's an incredible amount of nonsense that he spouts there that obviously that obviously was written uh, in the script as, you know, this, not not ironically, but as in a sort of fun way, uh, this, uh, this uh, I don't know how to describe it, this interdimensional... Right retelling of this history of this of this situation and and he's all these weird names and stuff like that comes spouting out yeah there was like uh something about a slore and all those <laughs> yeah, people right. was a flaming slore a yeah. slur that's right he, I, uh, yes he reappeared he, he appeared as a slore and that's a hint to the fact that he will he'll appear later on as the stay puff marshmallow man because he takes yeah. on he takes on uh it takes on a guy's I've uh, fought a video in a video game against a slore. It was interesting to see what a slore was. Okay. Uh, but yeah, during the exam, that's when Peter calls and tells Egon about the uh, the situation with Dana, who's uh, sedated on the bed next to him. Oh, okay, that's, okay. That's when that happens. That's right, because while this is all happening, Ray and Winston are driving in the ambulance, having a weird religious talk about Revelation. Again, that's where my theory about him being a ghost comes from. Uh, where he's just like, let me tell you, you know, I, I really like Jesus's style. Why are we talking about Jesus? I don't know. I'm not a ghost. What? I didn't think you were a ghost. Um, anyway. Anyway, except Jesus is your personal savior. Huh? Where'd this come from? Anyway, uh, moving on, moving on. So then we then we hit what I guess is the, the second, the end of second act, beginning of third act, low point to the movie, which is a very abbreviated low point. It is where we have... Back at the fire hall, the EPA are dum dums. So we have uh, Walter Peck show up, William Atherton show up with a with a hapless stooge from Con Ed, and I think a policeman as well who is yep. not that impressed by Walter Peck either. Because he says like if he moves or something, shoot him. Like I'm not gonna shoot him. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah. That's right. yeah, yeah. <laughs> Don't tell me my job. He says and he says some insult to the guy. Pencil neck, I think he calls him. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so so uh, yes, Atherton insists that they. That they turn off the grid, and by your theory, he does not believe that this grid actually is a thing, and so he's going to prove that by turning it off, that it's just a, 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 fake, a fake out. The reality is, it turns out, it is not fake, and we get a very uh, pretty impressive bit of science uh, special effects with the, with the breakdown of this, of this containment unit, and everyone hightailing it out of the building as, as, as uh, all the ghosts go, do they come out spouting through the top of it? Yeah, they burst, they burst out the top okay. all many different beautiful colors. They're actually really gorgeous. It's a like really beautiful ghost uh, just <laughs> okay, coming out of the, the top of the building. This is the problem because by this point, I had been joined by other members of the family. And so I couldn't pause the movie to write notes. 
Mm-hmm. And so I was writing them while I was watching. And so I, I missed like, I'm like, or was right now in fire hall, EPA are dum-dums. And I look up and go, oh, what happened? Was there a big explosion of ghosts coming out? Darn it. <laughs> anyway, so um, yeah. And then the city goes under ghost siege, which is a very strange scene. A very weird sequence in the film, I thought. Mm-hmm. Because you can't, I mean, I know that it's going to be one of those scenes where like, everyone's mad at the Ghostbusters. And, and you as if you're kind of frustrated, you're kind of like, well, why is it their fault? Like, they're not the ones who shut down the grid. Yes, what they were doing was dangerous. And yes, it's po- likely possible that it was going to break down anyway, without, with or without Walter Peck from the EPA coming in and shutting it down. But mm-hmm. the, they didn't. It didn't break down because of them. And he, this guy's to blame. But still, we know who the, who's getting to get blamed for this. Right, because they're going to be blaming the most famous people in the world. Yeah. And then, but it's got such weird music in the scene. It's kind of like this boom, yeah. boom, boom. It's kind of weird music. And, magic, magic. And Don't then, you believe it? Magic, magic. <laughs> is that what it is? It yeah, is. it really changes. It's like yeah, yeah. magic, magic. And then, uh, then you got these kind of weird things where like ghosts are like in hot dog stands or... In one case, this like completely atypical ghost that looks more like a zombie mm-hmm. is driving a taxi cab and very badly. So I don't yeah. know. Yeah, I would have liked to see a little more of that business. Like, what's this? Yeah, he goes in through the pipe in the back and yeah. then uh, dr- starts driving wildly. I suppose. Yeah, yeah. It's like, yeah, that's good. It's kind of scary. I'm yeah, all for that. Yeah. I'm not sure if it's this one or uh, the next movie where the woman's uh, coat that's made of mink and all the minks come to life. I think that would be is the that- next one. I don't remember that scene in this film. Okay, uh, but it could have yeah. happened while I was writing "City Under Ghost Siege." Yeah, you got a you got a montage of a bunch of stuff going on. So now I guess people really believe in ghosts. That's right. That's right. There's nothing to doubt. What were they yeah. thinking? Even even Walter Peck must agree. But sure. No, he doesn't. That's the amazing part of it. So we cut to the uh, the boys are in jail. Okay. And uh, I like the sequence because there there there's a table in the middle of the cell. Common common, <laughs> common sight. To- to do plans, yeah, and yeah. Whatnot. So they yeah, have, you know. and they brought their blueprints with them as well. So they have their blueprints unrolled <laughs> on the table in this jail cell, and they're looking at them. But what I like though was the fact that um, all the co- other people in the cell are like, instead of like you know sitting in a surly way on all the uh, on all on all the you know on the benches in the cell, they're actually like they're all gathered on the table looking at these plans. Like they're interested in what these guys are talking about. They're like, well, this yeah. is really interesting. I this is, and so yes, it turns out that. This building, bump, 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 full of selenium. <laughs> really? A vitamin, huh? But it's uh, the building is a super antenna, or as Ray calls it, spook central. Yeah, that's that's Ray. <laughs> and then we got a little cameo from uh, Reggie Val Johnson. Yep, who uh, we know from Die Hard. Yeah. Who we know from Family Matters. There you go. Who we know from uh, playing a cop and everything that there is. <laughs> good, for, good for him. Yes, very good. Copping it up there. Uh, Yeah, like the fellas who, you know, you normally in a movie like this in the 80s, they go to prison or jail or anything. There'd always be like a big guy who'd just be like gooning it over them. But again, (laughs) these are the most famous people in the world. I guess so. Like when when they go into the jail cell, everyone around here knows who they are. So it's like, yeah, some celebrities just got busted. Hmm, Okay, let's see what's what's going on. We're going to buy this. Mm -hmm. And then. and then, so yeah, we leave that scene for a moment, and we uh, we cut to Lewis and Dana getting it together, little smooch action before they they walk, uh, kind of stately off Sigourney Weaver statuesquely, Rick Moranis less statuesquely towards the steps. Did they have sex? Do you think? 
Oh yeah, that's implied later. That's the weird bit. On that. Well, one is the gatekeeper and one is the keymaster. Yeah, but they're people who key uh, yeah, just had... inserts into the gate. Yeah. Mm, yeah. That's a great. That's not the best. <laughs> Whatever. It is, no, so it is. It is. Go, we cut to the mayor's office then. Uh as we leave as we um we we fade from that scene of them walking away to the mayor's office where we have everyone in a tizzy over uh, this, this ghost outbreak. And I, I love when the archbishop arrives. <laughs> yeah. So strange. Because he's got a joke. And you're like, another character has a joke. It's so jarring. <laughs> what is his joke? Uh, his joke is like he uh, blesses the mayor. And yeah. then they're like, hey, uh, how you doing, mayor? Yeah, pretty good. Hey, yeah, your buddy. Yeah, yeah. They're all just all pals. They're just being yeah. palsy pals. Yeah. yeah. You know, so, uh, giving each other handshakes. Ah, we hang out. Yeah, hey, this guy knows. It's New York. <laughs> New York. Um, but like... <laughs> Again, this is one of those times where I feel like, okay, so you're the archbishop, and you just came from, I don't know, downstairs, right? Yeah. You walk through the streets where ghosts are everywhere, as the last time I looked. Yeah. Um, how does that affect you as the archbishop? The Catholic you, Church has no opinion on this. Yeah, gotcha. How do you feel about that, though? <laughs> like, how does that... Even uh, even Winston has some opinions on on this situation. <laughs> they're yeah, they're a little more emotionally invested. Yeah. Uh, yeah, and then weirdly, Walter Peck is still insisting that the Ghostbusters are hypnotizing their victims using gas, and then yeah. and then faking faking the ghost capture when he ran out of the building in a panic because of an exploding. Well, it, expo- it exploded. He didn't necessarily like if something's exploding in a basement. Yeah. You run out whether or not you think but ghosts then exist. But all or the not. ghosts shot out of the top of it. Well, well he didn't see that. I, I guess you're running out of a building. I guess as you say, New Yorkers don't look up, so he must have missed all that. Yeah, they just exploded out of the top of the building. Like it was a bunch of uh, crazy lights and whatnot. Other things can cause that. If you don't believe in ghosts, then you're not the first thing you think isn't going to be like, oh, but a bunch of ghosts. Must be shooting out of that top of the building. But, For, yeah. Fortunately, he loses the the argument between uh, the Ghostbusters and, and his side because right. dogs and cats are living together. That's right. You can't you can't argue against that that one line. Dogs and cats living together. <laughs> that's the that's the that's the capper. And once he says that, the mayor's like, "We got to let these guys get out there and do what they can." Because if uh, if. If they're wrong, doesn't matter. Yeah. You know, throw them back in jail. Yeah. But if they're right, you've saved the life of millions of registered voters. <laughs> and so we cut to a street scene. Now, this is where we see more of the results of, of this ghost activity. Because now we kind of see like the more religious fanaticism has come out. There's mm-hmm. people with repent signs. There's Orthodox Jews praying. There's Hare Krishnas. So we have all these kind of religious groups have all gathered outside of Dana's apartment building where there's there's a uh, ominous cloud floating over top of this of this uh, skyscraper, which will be used in every superhero movie uh, <laughs> right. in modern times. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's right. And uh, apparently, Ron Jeremy is in the sequence, as you pointed out earlier. That's right. Also, the um, with his I, proton pack. <laughs> does he? Ever, yes, his own proton pack. And then, and then. Uh, Another guy who's there playing a Harry Krishna is this is this um, kind of weirdo singer named Brute Force, who was associated with the Tokens in the '60s and was very briefly uh, involved with Apple Records and stuff. And yeah, so he's also he's also in this crowd. So I thought that was sort of interesting. Oh, okay. And then uh, once again, IMDb. <laughs> so yeah, then 
the Ghostbusters arrive, and then they have that quite good sequence of the road all get t- getting torn up. Yeah. Some sort of being. That looked really impressive, like the huge amounts of earth with the road on top of that. I thought that was really, it looked really great, the way they did that. And so that was good. Nice practical effects, right? That's what we like to yeah. see. That's what it, it's very like grounded, like yeah. That's, that's what, ah, that's what grounded. I see what you did there. There you are. <laughs> but you're right. Yeah, it gives it gives it more realism, right? When they're like actually having to like walk up this ramp of cement, you know, it's really interesting looking. Though I also I also like that it's one of these things where like, oh my gosh, there's a horrible thing and the earth swallowed them up, and then it's just we're okay, we're all <laughs> we're fine, we're good. I'll right. just survive. We'll explain later. We'll explain. All right. It's a comedy. Back. It's a comedy, everyone. All right. Let's carry on. So then we get to a Is great it a comedy. No, it's not. It's not. We get. Thank goodness. We get to a. We get to a great shot of them walking up the stairwell of the apartment building with a so fantastic exactly matte work. painting above them. Right. That's such a great, great shot. Uh, I love. I love when Bill Murray says, "Let me know when we get to the twentieth floor. I plan on throwing up." Yes. It's good. Well, it's it's also good too because like at that point. Things have gotten kind of crazy. Yeah, we've seen we've seen like all this wacky ghosts floating yeah, around. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Grounding. Yeah, and so just the idea of like having to go up this oh all these stairs. Everyone can relate to that and just how awful it is, and especially New Yorkers. Like all oh, the elevators broken, and we got to go up the stairs. Oh, oh. It's like that's great. Now you're now you're completely relating to these uh, four people, mm-hmm. and you'll feel what they're going through more. Yeah. yeah. Also. It really sets up that where they're going is high because they're not going to show you a lot of like looking over the edge and whoa. Yeah. yeah. But, like, but because you've seen this, we now know, oh, yeah, yeah. They're dangerously high up. I mean, 22 floors. Like, it could, could have been worse. That's New York. I can't imagine that's a very tall building in New York City. 22 stories. But these guys are not in shape. No, they're not in shape. Egon eats nothing but Twinkies. <laughs> I haven't seen Bill eat a salad. Yeah, yeah. This- uh, this whole thing, yeah. Dan Aykroyd. I mean, they're all massive smokers. Mm-hmm. Yes, as yeah, well. Yeah. Wait, yeah. Is this Egon smoke? No, I don't think Egon smokes. Okay, on camera. Okay, but yeah. So they get to the top. One thing I noticed in this sequence. One thing I noticed about this movie, and in this se- besides besides apparently this birthday party in the uh, tavern on the green, which I do not remember to be frank with you. Are there any Are there any kids shown in this movie? No. It's like really like a kid-free movie, right? Yeah, that's James Bond world where kids don't exist. Yeah, yeah, but when they get up, when they go onto the twenty-second floor and they come up into the hallway, there's a Hot Wheels in the in the hallway, and I th- looked at it and I thought, I wonder if that's like a little nod to The Shining. Was The Shining out by this point? Yeah, The Shining was nineteen eighty. Yeah, maybe, maybe that's that's a possibility. But it's sure. just weird though that it's there because we've seen no sign of children at all. All right, here's my question to you. Uh, Meatballs, of course, did have uh, teenagers in it. Mm-hmm. Uh, Animal House, no kids. Caddyshack, no children. Yeah. Stripes. Well, no teenagers, children. teenagers are in Caddyshack, but yeah, no, no little kids. Okay. Yeah. Uh, st- stripes, no kids. Mm-hmm. Uh, National Lampoon Vacation, kids had yeah. to have kids. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's just like uh, these movies are not movies that kids show up. But in. National, it did Harold Ramis write National Lampoon's Vacation? Uh, he was the director of that one. Sorry. I thought that was John Hughes. Uh, John Hughes wrote it. Uh, Harold Ramis directed it. Oh, okay, cool. Yeah, I didn't know that. I didn't know that. Interesting. Yeah, Harold Ramis directed Caddyshack and uh, National mm-hmm. Lampoon's Vacation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I I don't blame them for not having kids in these movies because I don't think they're kid kid movies necessarily in the in the milieu of the film. Like you know, like what you do you do with a kid? Yeah, and you, you know? don't you don't want a bunch of kids around these smoking adults. 
you don't want the you don't want the kids being. I mean, the kids could be scared. I guess. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Is that as funny as seeing an adult scared? No. <laughs> no um, can't do sex jokes around them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. You know, are you gonna have like? Uh, Bill Murray being a W.C. Fields guy around him, like, get out of here, kid, you bother me? Yeah. Yeah. You know, it's basically everything would be getting the kid out of the room. Sure, sure. So have the kid be out of the room already. Yeah, you don't need him. But I just thought it was sort of interesting in a movie that's, you know, pretty kid-free that there's this uh, Hot Wheels in the in the hallway. And then the second movie, it opens with them having to do a kid's birthday party. So mm, mm. then we pack it with kids and it all doesn't work. <laughs> we know that it's not. Then we know the movie is a failure. Yeah. Right from the get-go. I've never seen it myself. Uh so, this is where we have the beginning of the rooftop showdown. Sure. Where the characters go up to the roof. They, um, before this, we, we got to see um, Dana awakened laying on the altar with her leg up in the air. A very kind of sexy shot of her. A very 80s sexy shot. And then she rolls over and it reveals Lewis is also laying on the altar. So, we implying that some sort of hanky, some sort of occult hanky-panky has taken place. They both uh, become dog creatures. And so then they're they're gone. They're gone from the movie for now. And so when Ray and, and when Ray and and Peter and Egon arrive with with Winston, they find you know just this sort of empty roof. And then I guess it's Gozer who appears uh, in the guise of a woman, and she attempts to kill them with rays from her own finger. There's a lot of rays going on here. Yeah. And it's have... action packed. Yeah. yeah. Now I got a little I got a little vague here. So so. She's determined to kill them. They kind of like hide from her or whatever. Mm-hmm. And then she then... She asks them if they're a god. She asks that first. And then when they say no, then then she tries to kill them. And then that's where uh, Ernie Hudson has one of his few lines, which is the, uh, you know, when someone asks you if you're a god, you say, yes. It's <laughs> a good line. It is a good nice line. nice if he had more lines, but that yeah, was a good line. Yeah, yeah, that's a good line there. And now, how does she become... The Dave Puff Marshmallow Man. Does she disappear? Okay. They, yeah, they all shoot. They all shoot at her. Yeah, they all shoot at her. Yeah, uh, together, and then she vanishes. Mm. And it's like, oh, did we beat her? I think we beat her. Oh, good for us. And it's like, nope. Then you hear a voice going, uh, "Choose the form of the destructor." Oh, and it's like, oh, this is how. And then it's like, oh, this is simple. All we have to do is not think of anything. So mm-hmm. they all clear their minds. Yeah. Then uh, the form has been chosen, and Ray realizes he has chosen the form. <laughs> I like how guilty he looks in this. In this really nice little bit of acting from Danak right there, mm-hmm. which you know, like overall, there's not a lot of acting done by the by the three leads in this film. If you know what I mean, like like you know, Bill Murray plays pretty much a one note Bill Murray. Yeah. Uh, Egon is Egon a robot. is pretty much yeah, a pretty staid character. He, not, he likes to collect mold spores and something else. Ernie Hudson's in another movie. Ernie Hudson's Actually, really acting, acting. Ernie Hudson. I mean, I guess we could call him a lead. I, you know, he comes in a th- the last third of the film. He's a co- so he's a co-star. At best, he's a co-star yeah. At best. Yeah. So I mean, he and Annie Potts and people like that. They they are acting. But I'm just talking about the main the main the main three guys. And I would say of them all, Dan Aykroyd does the most acting acting. Like here's the like Dan Aykroyd is the one who actually feels shame and guilt and this kind of stuff yeah. occasionally. Yeah, but like they don't, yeah. they don't make that a consistent in any way. No, no. And it's also weird too that he picks the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, and it's like, well, then just have at some point, and in the uh, firehouse, Stay Puft Marshmallows. Yeah, and like yeah. Why is it mentioned in Dana's apartment as some sort of foreshadowing? Yeah, or yeah, like somehow there, there, there's like a bag of them on the ground or something. I was going like to say, the, yeah, that would have been. 
that would yeah, be. Yeah, he just like sees it and like there you go. And is it's kind of a combination of the Michelin man and Kool-Aid man and all these kind of things. It's like, all right. But here's the here's the good part at this point. Like whatever the audience was expecting to happen at this point. Yeah. This was not it. <laughs> no, I can imagine. And this that. is where they this is where the movie like the movie's very good. Uh, especially with things like the scene in the hotel, mm-hmm. which is like, wow, I've never seen anything like that before. This is, wow, that's really good. Yeah. Uh, really good action. And then you really enjoy Bill Murray doing his things and what have you. Yeah. But this is where the movie goes, huh, you had an ending. You yeah, really yeah. had an ending. That's, that is, this you're is, right, you're right. This, this, movie... is, this is a threat, but it's also comedic. It's something I've never seen before. <laughs> you know, and like, this was a problem with the Fantastic Four movie, the second one. Where they did the big setup of like Galactus is coming, Galactus is coming, and Galactus is a big giant about the size of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Yeah, and they couldn't do it, and they made him a cloud, and it was like, <laughs> who cares? But here, you actually get your comedy Galactus showing up in the street, and they really set it up well with the uh, vibrations at yeah, first, like yeah, yeah. he's coming, he's coming, and then it's hilarious, but then also horrific. Oh, it's 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 it's, it's very good, and also it's a really good special effect. Unlike the dogs at almost any part of the film who look really terrible, mm-hmm. almost every other bit of the special effects in this movie is quite good. But I'd say that the, the stop motion dogs are kind of a failure in terms of special yeah. effects. But the Stay Puft Mar- Marshmallow Man, who I assume was, I think is the man in a suit because he does get a credit in the, he does get a credit on the uh, IMDb page. It's odd that you've never seen that suit then in any Props. I know that's true. So maybe it was maybe maybe they're crediting him for voice, but it doesn't say voice. Usually, it would say voice. Yeah. Because there's a person who's who gets uh, credited for the voice of Gozer, a lady named Peggy something, and that's and she gets credited as voice, actually uncredited voice for Gozer, and then but it doesn't get it. It credits the Stay Puft Marshmallow guy, but I don't and know also, if he says does he does he say something? Uh, not not really. No, I think he just growls. Does he say Ray? Makes, no, I think it just it just makes noises. Okay, you know, and again, this uh, sorry, I'm going to get another movie that uh, kind of Fantastic Four toot it, which was <laughs> the Last Action Hero. And we've talked about this before, mm-hmm. where they mention King Kong. Yeah, that, like I could bring King Kong to life, and they don't. And it's like, oh, that'd be nice seeing King Kong in New York. That'd be interesting to see him I guess, back. I guess you kind of have seen him in New York, but yeah, yeah, yeah. But to see him in modern New York, well, yeah, I guess you've seen him in modern New York. That's right. Yeah. Like, this is this is. Again, it, it feels a bit King Kong-y. Yeah, yeah. It feels a bit uh, Godzilla-y. Sure, But yeah. it's also hilarious. Mm-hmm. And then, yeah, he's climbing the yeah, building. Yeah, just the shot of his heads between the build, his head, heads, the head between the buildings. And the first shot, when you first get to catch a glimpse of him, they still keep it pretty low-key because you just see his head moving between the buildings. And then you get a sense of, uh-oh, what? And then, then they do the full-on shot of him walking down the row of the buildings. And, yeah, it's just great. Just great. And so, so uh, now ahead. it's up to the now it's up to the boys. They really have to put their lives on the line, which they weren't well, they, doing before. They, yeah, they shoot they shoot him first, which just sets him on fire. Yeah. So now they just got flaming marshmallows coming up the building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Not helpful at all. And yeah, so th- what's nice there, of course, is that he is coming up the building, so it creates a time a time element to the, to the sequence. So now they have to think of something to do before he gets to the top of the building which he's right. he is steadily coming up and so uh, i guess it's egon who decides that they'll have to cross their streams and shoot into this in, into this dimension as an attempt to destroy this this portal 
Yeah, Egon, Egon is the first one that suggests crossing this, you know, uh, he hints at what they have to do. Mm-hmm. Then, then Ray grabs it and is like, cross the streams. And, and, and Peter doesn't get it. And then it's like, you said crossing the streams was bad. Yeah. It's like, yeah. And then <laughs> they really hit up how awful this week. But look, yeah. sorry, I'm going to back up a couple of seconds. Oh, right sure. Now. Please do. I just go like, you know who should have picked? Like, I get that Ray's the guy to do the, oh, no, I thought of it. Mm. He's not the guy to pick the thing. Yeah. Egon's the guy to pick the thing. You've had Egon eating nothing but candy and Twinkies <laughs> and all this stuff through the whole thing. Yeah. It should be Egon who's like everyone's blank, uh, got their mind blank, and then Egon, I, I had no control. I just <laughs> thought of it. And it's like, yeah, he's the sweet he's the sweet craving guy. This, this is not a Ray thing. Yeah. We've never set up that Ray enjoys uh, uh, marshmallows. Yeah, makes no makes no sense. It should be Egon. Anyway, uh, guys, fix that. Fix that in post. Now we're back. So, <laughs> but so Egon Egon isn't human enough for that. I don't I don't think so. Well, that's the thing. He can't help the computer. Just like went to went to sugar because that's all he can think of is sweet things and Twinkies and whatnot. Yeah. Um. So yeah, uh, it's like they got to cross the streams and then they all sit there because it's inconceivable the idea that they're going to kill themselves mm-hmm. crossing the streams and then you get the scene that makes the movie dramatically, yeah. which is Peter, uh, who can adjust to anything, <laughs> is able to adjust to this. Yeah. And just like, I love this idea. This is a great plan. I'm, I'm thrilled <laughs> to be a part of it. I do love that too. Yeah, I just like, can see on the other side. Like, they're just, you know, they're pretty sure this is it for them. Yeah. That they're going to, by crossing the stream, they're going to create this big explosion that's going to, with their, you know, with their unlicensed nuclear accelerators, they're going to destroy this portal and themselves and right. and they know it and they and still the full, do it. and they and still the full, do it. yeah the full cycle here is peter was a fraud yeah he didn't believe in the thing that he was you know pretending to believe in yeah and he was just you know he, he was just completely selfish and his journey to the end now is like i do believe in it i believe in all of it i'm gonna sacrifice it sacrifice myself for it and i'm so much so that i'm going to convince everyone around me that this is the right thing to do because that's my skill, is I can convince people of stuff. Yeah. But I'm going to do it for the right reasons. And that's a perfect journey for that character. And so however other things don't make sense and connect and set up and don't pay off, that completely pays off. Mm-hmm. And then, mm-hmm. yeah, they uh, they cross the streams. Yes. And then they uh, die. The end. It's die. a European movie. <laughs> the end. It's a bummer 1970s movie. Yeah. Yeah, too bad. Ends like the parallax view. <laughs> and so, uh, yeah, they cross the streams, and uh, hey, it works. There's a big explosion. Pardon me. Everyone is, uh, you know, uh, your mouth exploded. I did. I'm sorry. I had a little burp there. I apologize. <laughs> oh. I was like, uh, I was a Zuzu in uh, in It's a Wonderful Life. I burped. Um, oh, all the thoughts of, of delicious marshmallows, Dave. They just got coming and going. <laughs> S'mores. But yes, they uh, destroy the, the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man, raining um, a molten, molten goo, s'more-like goo down on the street, and okay. especially on. One more little thing about the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Now that is that is a real brand, right? In real life? Yeah. No. Oh no, it's they made it up. Made it up. Yes. Oh okay, okay, okay. Yeah. 
Okay, I didn't realize that. It's a great looking mascot. I'm surprised it isn't already. <laughs> it looks like so many other mascots. Yeah, I guess it's kind of Pil- yeah. Pilbury, yeah, Pillsbury Doyle. Uh, all these different mascots. I wonder if they tried to like get an actual mascot for that part and they couldn't, so they had to create their own. Well, it's very Michelin Man. Or if they just knew that there's just no way that anyone would anyone would dig it. There's a there's a bit on on um, the Great Eastern where um, Paul Moth is interviewing uh, Bonhomme Carnival, and then he brings on his brother. The Michelin Man, and then their other, and then their other brother is someone. Oh, the Pillsbury Doughboy, their other brother, and so they all have, they have this family, this cheerful family gathering because they've all been estranged from each other. It turns out for all these years, and they all it's a really silly thing. But anyway, that just made me think of it because of the year. Anyhow, back okay. to Ghostbusters. I, I understood. Um, so uh, so stay stay puffed. Uh, was by the way, there was Stave Puff marshmallows later in uh, uh, made you know because uh, people okay. wanted them. Okay. Um, but uh, he was inspired by a security guard at Columbia Pictures called Peter O'Boyle, okay. who uh, Reitman met uh, during uh, filming Space Hunter: Adventures in the Forbidden Zone, and uh, and so yeah, it was uh, loosely based on him and the Michelin Tire Man. Huh. Yep. Interesting. Yeah, so I didn't really. I thought, I thought when I was watching, I was like, "Man, that's really cool that that company was okay with them doing that with their mascot." <laughs> I, didn't, nope. I, th- I thought that was anyway. What but do yeah, I Walter, know? Walter Peck gets covered in goo. Well, he, that's the that's the other part of the scene that I thought was was quite interesting. I feel like Bill Murray had by this point reached breaking point. He got slimed in the hotel mm-hmm. scene, and they said, "Okay," they said, "Okay, Bill, time to put on some of this marshmallow stuff on you." And he went, "Uh, no." He said, no, no, you just got to put it all over your clothes and stuff like that. No, no. Just put some on my head. That's all I want. I don't want anything else on me. They're like, but everyone else is going to have marshmallow all over them. He goes, yeah, that's fine. They, I got slimed. They didn't get slimed. I'm not having anything more than just on my head. And they went, okay. So they just splashed a little bit on his head. And that's that's all he had. Because everyone else is like covered in it. And he yeah. just has this little bit on his head. And I just thought, oh, I guess Bill Murray did not feel like being a team player that day. That could be the case, but I think it also works dramatically in that, you know, he he was the, you know, he deserved to be slimed all the other times. Yeah. Because, you know, he's that guy. But here he actually did the right thing. Mm. And so he comes out clean because he's clean. He <laughs> uh, maybe clean that's, maybe that's it. Also, it would have, wouldn't have been so good with the Sigourney Weaver element yeah. of it that if they were smooching and he was all covered in gross uh, marshmallow. Yeah, but everyone else is uh, covered, and uh, he thinks for a second that Dana is dead. Yes, because the dogs are uh, smell of uh, roasted dog hair. Uh, but uh, her fingers crack through the runes, and uh, and she's okay. And yeah. uh, so so is uh, so Lewis. Uh, yeah, uh, and uh, we get uh, good old uh, uh, Winston saying he loves this town. Gets the final line. Well, that, well my favorite line from Lewis at this point is, uh, "Who does you guys taxes?" Yes. So oh, good. sorry. Winston says the "I of this town," but yeah, yeah, yeah. Who does your taxes? <laughs> then later on, when uh, there are the Ghostbusters are being taken away for a heroic uh, celebration, uh, Lewis is like taken away in an ambulance. Yeah. You know, so. <laughs> well, I'm with those guys. No, no, you got to go over this way, sir. Oh, geez. Oh, okay. All right. Here I go. <laughs> That's fine. Does he's it... a he's a he's a crooked accountant, and uh, he will get a chance to be a Ghostbuster one day. He will. A um, mm. little spoiler for Ghostbusters 2, everybody. There, there you are. Um, Be careful yeah, what you wish so. for, everyone. And then everyone's cheering, and we have the nice uh, cheering at the at the bottom. They're all so happy that uh, hooray, things hooray. are the same. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I'm sure Walter Peck survived uh, being uh, hot 
uh, just just lava hot marshmallow uh, falling from twenty two stories <laughs> down onto him. He's, he's, he's clearly he's dead. Fine. Not, he's fine. I can't remember if he's in the next movie or not, but uh, I, I assume he's he's dead. No. And maybe he becomes a ghost. I don't know if that's where ghosts come from. We never really got into that, whether or not ghosts are the spirits of people who died, or if they just you know show up. Who knows? Thank goodness. Uh, all I know is Slimer's still around, uh, the green ghost, because he uh, uh, roars towards the camera, and then that's the end of the uh, movie. Cool. Ta-da! There you go. Hooray! All right. Well, yeah, I was I was uh, kind of glad that we uh, that we uh, rewatched that film because I I thought it uh, it stood up to time for me, and in fact, in some ways, it improved slightly. Yeah, the structure. <coughs> pardon me. The structure, uh, you know, kind of became the basis for many, many. Uh, films. I'm trying to remember the Ivan Reitman one that was uh, about aliens with uh, David Duchovny. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very similar in structure mm. as well. I don't remember it's, the name of that one either. Yeah, but, you know, you uh, you have the, uh, you know, sort of be, sort of reality, then things get a little crazier, then we, we end with a big spectacular, uh, big uh, situation at the end. Yeah. It's it's fine. Now, now here's, here's uh, <laughs> but my you but it's not just that it ends with a big spectacular situation at the end because Ghostbusters does it properly because they have a big spectacular ending, but they also have a a great character resolution. Yes. So you you have an emotional element to it, not just not just the spectacle, because spectacle in itself is not does not carry emotional weight. This is very true, and you also have a uh, a, a final villain. Or you know, spectacle yeah. that's uh, both funny and horrific, which is very <laughs> hard to do. It's very hard to do, and works very well in, in that in, in that situation. Yes, where you have a comedy. Yeah, because there's films like, I guess, a movie like Mars Attacks is an attempt to do a comedy, you know, comedy horror. But the comedy is so I don't know. The comedy is so alienating in that. Not no pen intended. And so many people get killed. Like so many people get killed. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess you can get, I guess you can be inured to that after seeing so many of them, but it just feels like the comedy never really kind of lifts itself above all the, all the mayhem and stuff like that. It's just kind of the film is very flat feeling, mm-hmm. and there's very yeah. there's no emotional resonance in that film at all. Like, there's no there's no emotional you know there's no emotional um, character that we connect to in that movie. So it's just kind of it's just kind of a spectacle, and like I said, spectacle by itself is not. It's not by itself interesting. It has to have a an emotional element or have emotional resonance to be interesting. Yeah, they uh, they were they were good characters. Uh, we liked yeah. them. Yeah, it was an interesting idea. It was very grounded in New York at a time where it was really interesting to see New York. Uh, there's some flaws. <laughs> Things are left open. Here's a here's a general question. I don't know if those are flaws necessarily. I mean, I think if you enjoy the movie, I don't think I don't think that they made made me kind of turn the movie off or pause and go now why didn't they go back to the library i mean you know it's something that you can kind of nitpick as an after as an after the the movie sort of thing but i don't think it it impacts the actual watching of the film no it doesn't impact the actual watching of the film but eh, why not why why wouldn't you do that (laughs) well no i mean you're right i mean especially when they're like starving for a job why don't they go ahead and go back to the library really yeah but there's a lot of there's a lot of setups that don't get that don't get paid off which but you really but I have to say that I really enjoyed the comedy shorthand of the movie where they just kind of like, they just kind of skipped over a lot of setup just to kind of get to keep the story going and without having to worry about a lot of, a lot of stuff. So yes, they could have gone back to the library, but then, then the, the museum sequence or the, the uh, hotel sequence wouldn't be quite as exciting because 
you you know like the the hotel sequence establishes them as as the Ghostbusters and and right. breaks breaks open their career. But if they go back to the library, that should be the watershed moment for their career. Unless you're going to have that as another disaster because they don't know what they're doing. But then you kind of want the disaster in the in the hotel sequence where they don't know what they're doing, and then they kind of sure. come out of it ahead at the end. So I don't know. I just feel like that. That yes, in terms of you know storytelling rules, you that the library doesn't make you know it, it kind of left it hanging but in terms of like the movie itself and the mechanics of the movie itself that it's perfectly fine that it left that out well there's there's a thing with like i would say there's a thing with comedy but it's a thing uh, hannah gatsby uh gatsby talks about which is how comedy is tension and then release of tension mm -hmm. so it's set up and then it's uh and then it's uh building the tension yeah and then at a certain point you as the comedian release the tension Okay. And you can also do that in a horror movie as well. You can release the mm -hmm. tension sure. that you've built up. Sure. Um, and so it feels like there's a lot of setups that happen in this. Yeah. And then they don't pay off the setup. So we never get the release of the tension. Mm. Uh, and then so you just keep building and building and building the tension and building and building and building the tension. Yeah. And that can that can backfire because then new things that you're bringing in might not feel like, well, Nothing matters. It's just going along. Yeah. Blah, 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 blah. yeah. And you can trick the audience into thinking there's still there's there's progress, and uh, you don't have to do that. But you you know uh, then at the end, yeah, you release you release that tension. But who knows? Maybe it would have been satisfying to see some things paid off with like you know, oh, Ray could pay off the house. I know you're saying like, well, who wants to see that? Well, I don't know. Maybe you do. You don't know how that scene would have played out. Who knows? Yeah. You know all these things that you you set up that seemingly matter, and then they. They don't really matter. What happens with uh, Janine and Egon? She really has a crush on Egon. Anything there? Nope. Nope. We're not doing anything well, no, there. No, no. They, they, okay. they go off arm in arm, so we can assume that there's something there or something something might happen. Maybe. You know, the movies don't have to tie up every loose end. There's lots that can be left to your imagination, too. Like, mm -hmm. you know, I don't know. I, I feel like... That's where the TV series took <laughs> off and off a lot of stuff. And then the movies, unfortunately, I feel... Uh, then tried to pay off the TV series, mm. and they kind of split the difference in a way that was not satisfying and was awkward and didn't make a lot of sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. I can just, see how uh, the just... I can see how the the first movie would be a difficult place to like jump off from, you know, and into a sequel because you're done. You're done. Yeah, like like P Peter's story has been told. Like, and uh, the idea that uh, you know you're catching ghosts, yeah. right? Why are you catching ghosts? You're catching ghosts because Gozer and Zool are coming. And yeah. so they've upped the paranormal energy in that's the city. Right. Yeah. And that's why I've got all these ghosts. Mm -hmm. Oh, you just uh, destroyed uh, Gozer and Zool. Yeah. So the ghosts are gone now. Yeah. Like yeah. The, yeah, so, frankly, the, the, the building, that building's purpose is, is now, is now uh, yeah, it makes no sense, you know. Right. Well, here's the thing. Like, I'm did just they kill? Get... Did they destroy Gozer and Zool? Or did they shut the portal to them returning? Either way, there's the energy is now shut. The off. energy's so, yeah. They they've closed them the off from our from our should be from our should be gone. Yeah. yeah. Uh, this was a this is a thing again with uh, Ghostbusters too. I'm not going to tell you what they actually you know too too much about that. But like that could have been where they started Ghostbusters too. Is like well, there's no more ghosts. We yeah. did it. Yeah. We succeed. What do you do now? Yeah. You go you to know? England. There's lots of ghosts there. <laughs> Oh yeah, the British Ghostbusters would be you pretty get a, good. You get a call from Dan Aykroyd's cousin, who looks exactly like Dan Aykroyd. So give Dan Aykroyd a dual, double role in the movie. He'll do a British accent as Roy, or sorry, as Ray, but also as as, as his, Roy, as Roy, his, his British cousin. <laughs> yeah, 
and then you build from there. Then you have a you kind of have a fish out of water movie rather than a than a New York movie. You have to, you kind of change venues and and have them do a kind of a a British version of of Ghostbusters. But the problem the, the problem still remains that you have you have satisfied your you know like we both agree I think that that Peter is the main protagonist of the film. I mean even though there's like the three Ghostbusters that it's really Peter's story that we're watching. He's the kind of main character of it. He's the one with the love interest. He's the one who needs to do the most growth as, as a care, as a person. And so that's the story kind of has his, his, his arc in it as part, as part of Ghostbusters. I don't really think Ray goes through a big change or Egon goes through a big change. And so, I mean, you could, I guess, park Peter in the background and have, and have Ray have a, have a change or, or have, Egon do something, but it doesn't feel like those kind of characters have that sort of weight to them. So I don't know. It's just kind of weird. Like I just feel like any movie you made, the Ghostbusters are just like like passengers in the story and not and not engines of the story. And then that's a that's a problem I think for a movie like a, a sequel anyway. Yeah, it's a it's a it's a trick. But whatever whatever is a good idea for a sequel, what they did was not a good idea for a sequel. <laughs> they didn't quite do it. No, well, they I'll had, work I mean, up they my I'll work up my Ghostbusters in England one. Oh. Well, they did do that in the comic book uh, and did a nice job with it. But oh, yes, yeah, right? it's very okay. good. Okay. They went a little bit to here. I mean, in the in the in the sequel, they do have Dana has a baby, and like to me, when I when I when I heard like she's got a baby, I was like, oh, is this because again. I know we kind of brushed over it, but it's awkward to me that uh, Rick Moranis and her have sex because mm-hmm. that's like, you know, there's there's issues with that. I mean, it's the 80s, so we're fine with it. <laughs> but, you know, uh, she has sex with with uh, with uh, uh, Lewis. Yeah. Uh, and then in the next movie, she's got this she's got a baby yeah. and they, they do it because she's got a husband and they broke up. And they're like, who, who wants that? No one wants that. But it could have been that. No, this was the baby that was conceived during this time. Mm. Like she, I know, I'm sure they didn't use protection. But I think, uh, so. I think she's. I don't know if it's actually Dana, though, is it? Because she, when, um, when uh, Peter's there and he, she, she, and uh, he says Dana's gone, right? Yeah. So she's just possessing. I mean, I thought that was in. She's possessing your body, much like the little girl in Exorcist. You know, the little girl isn't here right now. Yes. Yeah. You know, okay. The demon that's okay. inside her. So it's not, um, yeah. So it's not really Dana that or Lewis that are having sex, I guess. But yeah. But again, you got to have a sort of sex scene in an eighties movie, and whether it's, I don't know. Well, they don't, they don't again, show anything either. Though it's, it's then that's not it's showing done very tastefully. The the curtain draws as they. As well, they then there you go. As long as it's done tastefully, yeah. everything's it's fine. all right. Um, but hey, <laughs> yes. The you guys out there, have you have you have you seen this movie? What have you, you even what heard you of it? Of have you even heard of Ghostbusters? Man, when right. I discovered there was a movie the... called Ghostbusters, I was like, do you mean the Bob Hope movie? Are you getting it mixed up with Ghostbreakers? Yeah, are you thinking of the infinitely uh, bad uh, Ghostbusters video games and one good one? Is that what, <laughs> oh, maybe two maybe two good ones if you're talking about the arcade one, but it's, yeah. Yeah, it's weird. Uh, yeah, are you talking about that? Are you Is thinking of getting mixed up with Ghoul Bouncers, that movie from the 70s? No, what you're thinking about is you're thinking about that Saturday morning uh, uh, live action thing with the with the uh, ape and the two guys. Oh, that's right, Ghost with uh, Denver Pyle and uh, is that and, his name uh, uh, from uh, no, wait, no, Bob Denver, Denver. Sorry, Bob Denver and uh, no, not Bob Denver. No, oh, it's no. not Bob Denver. Uh, I, oh, he was the okay. guy from uh, F Troop. F Troop. F Troop. Larry Storch. Larry Storch. Okay, I'm sorry. And uh, the uh, the uh, ape was called Tracy because I think someone was called Spencer, and then the uh, ape was called Tracy. 
And that's hilarious. Kids love those jokes. And then they loved it so much they made an animated version of it when this Ghostbusters uh, movie became popular. And uh-huh. uh, there you go. They did it. I think, it I think my mother-in-law had, had – well, my mother-in-law bought – like well, she would buy videos for the kids at Valley Village. Mm-hmm. And one of them she had was a tape of the Ghostbusters – and I don't know if it's called the original Ghostbusters or whatever, but it was different characters in that that show, which was weird. Ah, and it might have been that show then. I I, did, I didn't know what it was. The kids watched it all the time, but there was also a time that Slimer taught kids not to use crack. Slimer don't Slimer don't slime. Yeah, Slimer. Uh, it was a thing where it was like all these car- cartoon all stars they got together, including Bugs Bunny and uh, I think the Smurfs and uh, Muppet Babies. They actually covered this in What a Cartoon, the, okay. uh, the podcast What a Cartoon. Okay. Um, and uh, and oh, yeah, Slimer was copying was them, eh? Is that what you're telling me? And uh, they, they convinced kids not to do uh, crack cocaine. Thank goodness. Because Slimer went, this is how I died. And now and no one went, does drugs. Yeah, and, and someone said to Slimer, what do you mean this is how you died? And he went, I'm based on John Belushi. <laughs> it's like, I thought you died from like an eight ball. Technically, yes. But That's anyway, a- <laughs> long story short, don't do drugs. Take it from me. That's right. The John Belushi-esque That's uh, right. Slimer. You if don't he, want to be this for your if life. If he'd lived three more years, he would have died of crack. <laughs> there you go. Yeah. You want to end on that? Sure. Okay. Well, it's. You want, it's your want show. harsh reality, dudes? Sure, man. All right. Woo. Tell me what it is. <laughs> That's right. this, that was my brain on drugs. And then would we have had Jim Belushi? Would we have had Jim Belushi? Well, hmm. Hmm. <laughs> I'm just saying, sorry, I was just thinking to myself, I got kind of quiet, because I was thinking about John Belushi, or Jim, yeah, John Belushi's like late career, which I, I find really fascinating. Like Continental Divide? That's, that's like a, not a movie that you would go, oh, that John Belushi movie, you know that one? Con- Continental Divide? Like, I feel like he was trying to get away from himself, you know? Like, I know 1941 is very John Belushi, but I don't feel like Continental Divide or Neighbors, where mm-hmm. he chose the more staid role in the film because he didn't want to play the crazy character. He, right. could, he, he It was really going to be reversed. Dan Aykroyd was going to play his role, and he was going to play the Dan Aykroyd film role, but he wanted to switch it around because I think he was... He just wanted to kind of leave that that persona behind. You know, you could probably get into movies where that happened a lot, the old switch-around roles. Like, that was also Night Shift. Oh, really? Uh, Henry Winkler was yeah. supposed to play the... Henry the... Winkler was supposed to play the Michael Keaton character, yeah. And then it was like, eh, I don't think I want to play that character. How about you play the straight guy? Oh, all right. And then they cast uh, Michael Keaton as the that's wild funny. character. That's that, funny. That's strange because it's hard to imagine Henry Winkler doing that role. Mm-hmm. Like Michael Keaton, that's like a Michael Keaton role. Hmm. I don't. I don't disagree. That's interesting. Although, well, anyway. Anyhow, <laughs> then I was thinking, but you know, like Mr. Mom. Yeah. Really, that's that's not a Michael Keaton role, but he does a good job in that. Yeah, he's a good actor. I guess that's what it is. He's, mm-hmm. uh that one um, about the Japanese company that comes and he's gung ho. Gung ho. Yeah. I mean, once again, that's not like a real Michael Keaton role, but he does a good job. But like you say, he's an actor. And no one expected him to be Batman. No, <laughs> that was a real what? And then no one expected him to not work again after that. And no one expected him to be Beetlejuice. Oh, that's right. He was in Beetlejuice after that. Yeah. And then at some point he said, you know what? I'm not going to act for a while. I'm good. I'll come back later when I can play Condor. What's that that movie he did? uh, Pacific uh, something? Was He's the psycho guy? Pacific? Pacific Heights? Yeah. That's right. Where he's the nut. He's a scary (laughs) nut. I have not seen that film. Oh, it's all right. Yeah. It's a good good thriller with Michael Keaton really uh, chewing a lot of scenery. (laughs) Num, 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 num. I guess when I say that he didn't work 
I mean, I didn't watch the movies he made. Like, I didn't watch Jack Frost or Pacific Heights or whatever else he did. Jack Frost. There's no need for that. I do. I do like that he plays the same character in Out of Sight and uh, Jackie Brown. Yes, that's kind of that's a fun little thing. (laughs) We are tangenting big time right now. Anyhow, everyone, do you want to get on this conversation that Ian and I are having? You can do it. By writing to us, you can comment on the show on our website, which is called sneakydragon.com. If you go there, you'll find this show posted there and a comment section underneath. And you're welcome to leave your thoughts on our drivelings on mm-hmm. the website. You can also email us at sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. That is our email address, sneakyd at sneakydragon.com. We are on Twitter at sneaky underscore dragon. Please go there. Leave some, maybe leave a suggestion of a movie that we can talk about because we are have not got many suggestions lately. I know you guys make suggestions, but then they just kind of like roll into the past. So even if, even if you made that suggestion before, make it again, make it again, and we'll put it up. We'll put it up for another vote. And uh, we also run Facebook at Sneaky Dragon, and we have a Patreon page which is called Sneaky Dragon, which is our flagship program. That's why we have Sneaky Dragon all over the place. Mm-hmm. You can listen to Sneaky Dragon. We uh, come out every Saturday. You can also listen to the Sneaky Dragon Listening Party. That comes out every every second Thursday. And Fansplainers, this show comes on every second Wednesday. So there you go. That's the kind of fun we have. Ian? Yes, sir. Thank you for this. It was a lot of fun. Yeah, it was fun. Thank you for suggesting this movie. I, I actually had quite quite a uh, enjoyable time rewatching it after I hadn't seen it since the uh, the good old 1980s. Well, let me ask you this one question, Dave. Sure. Who are you going to call me because we can't see each other because it's still uh, quarantine times. Quarantine times. <laughs> yeah, that right. is true. That is true. All right. Well, take care. And everyone yeah, out there, too. everyone out there, please take care. Be careful out there. Wear your mask. And we will see you in two weeks. Bye now. Go surreal. Did you say go surreal? No, I didn't say that. Who said that? <laughs> go surreal. I keep hearing it as go surreal, but okay. Oh, okay. I, I didn't hear anything. <laughs> We saw, we kicked its ass.